Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Ed podcast. Today I'm joined by Rachel, Mike, and Jono, the writers for the Big Picture Show. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you? Hello. Good. Great. How are you? All right, man. So uh, when I was talking to Rachel last time, I told you guys and gals that I wrote in questions for the Big Picture Show that this would be a completely separate episode. And that's what we're going to talk about. There's going to be 100% Big Picture Show. So from everybody's perspective, and it's going to be interesting to see how we're going to bounce around so we're not all talking over each other, but we can figure this shit out. We're better than the machines. We're better than the man, right? So with you guys' perspective on this, this show coming to an end, and everybody I've talked to, when the, the show started to wrap up and they gave Danny either a movie or a TV show or one more season, he opted in for the movie. Do you guys remember what that feeling like was, and everybody's feelings would be individual, but what were you guys feeling like when you guys knew that you were coming to the end of the road with the Ed Boys? Um, I don't know. Like I had, I had kind of stepped away from it for a while and I wasn't very prevalent in the last couple of seasons. Cause I had, I had moved on to other stuff, but I do remember that, you know, there was a lot of buzz around it. And especially because Cartoon Network were talking about it being a theatrical release. So that was a huge, um, like, Whoa, like I get to be part of making a movie like that, mm-hmm. that, that's like the next level, like of, of, of what we do, right? We were used to writing, you know, a little, you know, these episodes for television, but a movie seemed like a grand, huge undertaking. It was very, very um, appealing. And I remember flying up to Vancouver and Jono and I like were, were trying to brainstorm and stuff. And I remember we were forced to watch uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, that was like a movie that that was really Danny wanted us to make basically, you know, you're going to sit in this room, you're going to watch this movie. And he wanted us to watch this movie because he wanted something like this. Yeah. And he and with him, it's like, you know, it, it could be one a rabbit running across the road at one hour and 24 minutes. And that's the thing he wanted. But we're supposed to figure that out somehow, you know. <laughs> that's how we work so you know uh so i do remember that i remember being really excited though like being like this is cool like this is going to be a cool thing i i forgot about that yeah yeah i he really um he really liked that that movie that old movie it's a mad 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 three mads world four mads i think (laughs) i saw it on jeopardy once and the person got all the mads But uh, for people who don't know, that's like a bunch of people chasing after uh, treasure. Like it's like a road film comedy, black and white. What about you, Rachel? What was your thought process going into it when they said this is coming to the end and this is what we're doing? I mean, it was it was two things for me, really, because I we've done all these crazy things 
through up until season six, we'd really kind of like explored all different avenues of what we could do with the Eds. And we'd even gone into the secondary characters and like what we could do with them. So for me, it felt like we were, we were finishing strong in, in a way, like, you know, like to, to, to do a feature length um, film. And yet I remember sitting down to watch It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and trying to like understand from Danny's perspective what he wanted. Because I think obviously the car chase was a big aspect of it, but like the car- each of the characters in that film were really greedy from what I remember and like had like kind of various motives. So it's like you see a lot of those kind of um, those kind of uglier emotions coming out in Ed, Ed and Eddie, obviously, because the kids are just so pissed off and just like a really just like um on on a savage path after the ed so like um so it was for me it just it just felt like you know we, we could really end it with a bang really and then like i'm just guys do you remember like did we did it start out with eddie's brother as like the, the kind of that we were building up to was that like in the initial draft because i know you guys mainly worked on the first draft together mm-hmm. didn't you we had we we were going for the longest 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 time we were really trying to push the idea that at the very very end of the movie they get to the brother's house and he doesn't even exist and then eddie kind of has the moment where he's just like he has to face all the other kids and admit he's been lying and it was a huge emotional heavy heavy fucking moment and i know john and i at the time were really fighting for that because we really thought that was such a great way to just see eddie at his absolute like lowest point ever in his life and it was such a strong thing and we were kind of going towards that ending for a long time and then suddenly gang's like nope he's got a brother and we're gonna meet him. And it's like, oh shit, what do we do now? Because we were we were we were working so hard toward down that path, and then everything got changed, and it was just a it was a it was quite a shit show actually, from what I remember. Like the the the, the making of that script or outline or, or all iterations of it that it was, it was a lot of work, a lot of rewrites and rethinks and. The, the beginning was really, we kind of really got the beginning, the whole, um, the whole car, the, all the neighborhood kids being more fucked up than they've ever been ever in the show and no one knowing what really happened. Just, you see the aftermath and it's really dark and weird. Uh, that part just came out. Like that was just, everybody was on board for that from right from the get go. But then I think the wheels kind of started falling off the car. <laughs> the further we got down the track, just, shit just started going sideways and nobody could land on anything that like they wanted and it was it was it was a real chore from what i remember from that point going forward it's to remember yeah. um yeah no go on john oh i was just gonna say yeah you're right i remember the flip-flopping of the ending kind of threw a wrench into the process because we were writing towards this idea that eddie had made up his brother because he was such an idiot and a loser and so desperate that he made up this whole older brother and it was just a lie and even ed and ed were like what and and that's the (laughs) other thing too in that moment ed and double d are actually like you're a dick like you know (laughs) like and it was like a real heavy heavy moment and then we but we were always struggling with turning it around how do we turn it around right how do we get out of that 
you know, not leave such a bummer ending. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess Danny said no at some part in the process. And you're right, we had gone far down the road. He said, "No, his brother's real." And then, then the, you know, then the writers were like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> we're changing the end?" Yeah. And After then, like was, three, four months or however months, we're like fully into it, really for it. Oh movie now what <laughs> that was confusing uh, do you guys remember <clears throat> excuse me do you guys remember uh how far after season six ended that they approached you and you guys found out about the movie and then how long it took you to write and flush out that script rage that's probably i was i wasn't even involved at in the end of that season or maybe any of that season, I don't think. I was kind I of gone too. But the thing is, I think because I was kind of like, because I had season six to deal with, I'm pretty sure you guys started, I mean, God, we're talking like 30, 13 years now, yeah. um, that you guys went off with the first draft of what we were, you know, like the outline essentially. And then I think I just kind of shimmied my way in at some point and like, yeah, <laughs> just the whole thing was just like a bit of a, dinner to, like trying to get it done um yeah it was a blur it was a lot going on yeah that too i mean just walking up to it we had uh i mean we did all those seasons right in the cul-de-sac yeah. so i guess before at the end of season five danny was like i think we need to change something because nobody knew what else to say <laughs> about yeah. the cul-de-sac so then it was decided to go into the school and then I don't know whether he felt the school was not working or, or maybe it was working, but you know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was a, how did season six wrap up, Rachel? Do you it, was still, <laughs> it was still in the school, but it was winter. So we could do like kind of wintery episodes. Like they had like the um, safety episode, you know, the safety club episodes. Do you remember that one? Right. And um, they had like the, the school dance one, and my mind's gone completely blank. This is so. But bad. Was it, wasn't it really difficult to do the school when you couldn't have any other yeah. kids? Because, <laughs> well, you know what it's like, right? You know, when you're watching like a, a, a school, a, a film from the 80s set in a school, what, what do you see? You see a hallway full of kids on the mm -hmm. way to like a classroom, or you see them kicking off in the classroom, throwing shit around. We obviously couldn't do that because we were confined to this really limited cast of people. Most we could do was like do stuff with like shadows and things like that. So we we tried all, all these different techniques to kind of, do you remember all the stupid loopholes we used to do, John, where it was like, you know, you'd have shadows against the wall and stuff or like. I don't uh, remember. <laughs> I kind of do. I do too, because I remember one of the episodes I wrote in the school. It was one where, uh, where Double D was trying to run the report cards home. Uh, to, to their parents, Ed and uh, Eddie's and uh, Ed's parents. And it yeah. was like a mission impossible because they were like trying to sabotage him all the way. But he's in a classroom watching the clock tick. And I'm like thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> how many kids are in there of our characters? And how many are the same age? Like how many would be in the same class? Like Jimmy and Sarah are too young. And that leaves what, like four people now, <laughs> like eight? in a class like it was just it was so hard to wrap my brain around how that's gonna look so i i, I remember rachel they did do shadows and kind of silhouettes and stuff like that to fill out some of the seats and stuff we, yeah, yeah I mean, we, we 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We got we gone a bit M like M Night Shyamalan because we were doing like sound effects off screen, like the to the teacher with the chalk on the chalkboard and stuff. Like so it was a lot of that stuff as well of what you couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it's definitely interesting to see where the, the movie picks up, where the show ends and where the movie picks up, because like you said, it was in that winter, the set in that winter scene, and then you just go from Rolf being bitten in half like he got into a fight with a shark being chased by all of these kids and then there's no snow there's no everything's obviously it's spring or summer right so when this movie picks up when was the last time you guys had watched this movie do you remember oh gosh it's been a couple of years now for me yeah yeah, yeah I watched it for the first time in six seven years and I was like oh shit I forgot like I forgot like how vibrant that show was like just the colors like it and I don't know if it was because it was was this the first time it was all done digitally I know Danny had that stance of fuck digital art but was this the first time from start to finish any ed projects was done full digital oh, they went digital after season two I think just because it was so expensive and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong I might not be right about that but yeah they had he had to because that was just we were the last show being done yeah. on cells. We were the last show to be done on cells on television, I think. Pretty sure. Okay, maybe it was just the formatting then. Because I thought you guys had done, like, I thought it was a slow transition uh, between the seasons where you guys would do some digital, some stay. Like, <clears throat> God damn, you do some digital and then some of the traditional animation. But uh, I'm probably smoked a little bit too much weed, Mike, and just don't remember where all of that shit happened at. But, I mean... <laughs> Like I said, I remember when the, sh the movie opening up and it was very just like vibrant, very beautiful. And then you start going around like, what the fuck did these kids do to make everybody so hot so quickly? Now, in your first run of the script, did you guys like obviously it's a completely different movie from what you're saying. But did you guys define in the script what the whatever they pulled over the cul-de-sac kids was and why they were so pissed? It didn't matter. Yeah, we just had to show the aftermath and it had to be like. It had to be just terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah. And 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 I I I remember the ants for some reason was really important because it was kind of um an homage to the beginning of the movie Blue Velvet mm -hmm. by um David Lynch. David Lynch, thanks. Uh and there's like there's a scene where there's like green grass and he goes under into the dirt and there's bugs crawling through the dirt and we just we love the whole concept of you know the, the there's this there's this perfect cul-de-sac and then we get to this underground thing where just horrible things are happening or have just happened and the whole <laughs> that whole concept was just very prevalent in that opening scene. We were kind of really trying to capture that whole what is under the surface here and leave you guessing, right? Because that's that's the other beautiful thing about david lynch movies in particular you think about them for days later and you're like, what the what what the hell you're like still trying to process it right so we kind of were i i remember that being really like a hot thing like we were really trying to go for that like kind of that kind of mood in the beginning scene and really really just be scary like it's it's pretty scary and doomy <laughs> I, I love that whole idea of that opening and yes. the, the atmosphere of like the wheel turning yeah. and no one's around and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, it's so good. I love that opening. Love it. Love, yeah. love, love it. Yeah. Now, did, you, did you guys ever watch? Now, obviously, this movie came out before Breaking Bad, but it, if you've ever watched Breaking Bad, it has those vibes whenever the, the, the show opens. 
obviously most of the stuff is black and white it shows you this shit it's like when spoiler alert the plane crashes in uh breaking bad and then you've got all of this stuff floating in the pool it's it's this ominous feeling of like what the fuck is going on why is there a teddy bear eyeball sticking it and that's the vibe i got even though this movie like i said this your movie was done before breaking bad and i guess they had the same kind of thought process let's throw a little bit to david lynch because he has this interesting way of opening up and i think that's what stuck so hard for that movie for ed ed and eddie it was like you're drawn in right away you're like this is not like any other episode i've ever yeah. seen of anything usually something's happening something's funny going on but you send like you were saying you've seen a sense of dread the scene angst or you're like fuck dude this is uncomfortable is this a really kid show and then you start watching and you're like Oh shit, they're up to their same shit, but they really pissed everybody off. Like, yeah, like yeah. I said, you you see all these characters just start chasing them. Um, now, obviously, with movies and movies and TV shows is completely done differently. I'm assuming I'm I'm a layman when it comes to you guys' jargon, you guys' terminology. But I got to imagine between working a working a format for a movie and working a format for a TV show are 100% different, right? What were some of the hurdles that you guys would go through when you're starting to flush this idea out and trying to really get it onto paper? just the length of it and the audacity yeah. of doing such a we're writing 11 minute episodes and suddenly we're told to write 90 minutes and it all has to work yeah and everyone has to have a an arc and every character is important and they have their own journey and it's like it's well you're a chef okay what's it like cooking for two people or suddenly having to cook for 200 it's you easier know? for 200 yeah it's, it's easier for 200 We've, we've got a chef in the room, guys. <laughs> well, fuck you, then. You're, you just ruined that analogy. Like it's, it's a lot more stressful for two hundred, but just in the cooking side, it's a lot. It's a lot easier. Like obviously, the time is going to be less for those two people than those two hundred people. But when you can just do a big batch of fuck all, and then you not have to worry about it, vice well, doing okay. two, and you can't see you can't do just one big batch you have to do like suddenly you're doing like 15 different meals and mm -hmm. then they all have to be good and you're like oh shit you know <laughs> i'm just you know there's just the few of us doing this it's a lot to take on plus i mean working with danny alone is always its own suppose it's its own set of challenges so you know there's a lot happening here <laughs> what about for you rachel you remember anything well when i was kind of struggling with it like because it you probably doesn't like an analogy of like the soggy middle like in a story where it's like okay how do we get from the beginning to the end lovely analogy um and i was like right so we've got the mad 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 in the world element however when the kind of pace changes there's got to be something else and then you know what I've, it was stand by me um the film stand by me yeah. and i remember me mike and john definitely talked about it of like right okay so we've got the initiative they've kind of broke free of We've got out of Dodge, so we've got to get a bit more intimate with what the Eds are actually doing and what they're talking about and, and where they think they're going. And I, I did, I remember watching Stand By Me and going, I think this is the tone we need for Act Two. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm sure we had a discussion around that because, I mean, I remember like, that. So, yeah. like you're, you're a Stephen King fan, aren't you, Mike? So, like, I think you, you got it straight away when we spoke about it as well. So, yeah, this is true. I do remember that movie being an influence too, because we had to make a journey and we didn't, we, we didn't, we didn't want to have a, we wanted them to like, have like, like, well, just like stand by me, just like kids 
walking and talking about stupid shit, right? And just having that total camaraderie. We're on an adventure, you know, turning this horrible, horrible thing into a, you know, this is going to be exciting and cool. This is going to be an adventure we're going on now. And, and uh, I remember Rachel's right. I do remember we used, like, we looked at upon that movie a lot. It's kind of setting the pace for the, for the middle part of the movie. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah. Cause we had, I mean, we had the beginning yeah. where, you know, the Eds do something horrible and everyone's wants to kill them. So they flee the cul-de-sac yeah. <laughs> and we had an ending, you know, they go to Eddie's brothers for safety, but we didn't have that middle. Right. Yeah, that's right. I do remember that. So I guess we struggled for a while with what happens, you know? Yeah. Daily. <laughs> well, now, obviously you, you were talking earlier and then you said that you, you, you wanted to make it where Eddie's brother was a figment. He wasn't real and he would have to fess up. And then that was the emotional cross that Eddie would have to bear. He'd have to tell all of these people that for so long that, that he didn't really have a brother. Yeah. He was blind. Um, do you remember when or who that initially changed with? Was that a Danny like, no, we can't do it? Or when you started flushing out the idea further, you're like, no, we, we have to have that reveal and we have to make him be X, Y, and Z. I remember on that i remember at least i remember having some conversation with jono about it i am not sure if it was also with you rach but i do remember having a conversation with jono about how do we get out of that how do we get out of that super bummer horrible eddie literally reduced to a pile of holding the mirror up to himself and going i'm just an asshole basically yeah. how do we get out of that and we, we, we were always like coming up and like, you know, running into dead ends. And, and then shortly after, I think Danny just decided, no, nah, he's got to be a real guy. And that came straight from Danny. That came straight from Danny. I, I don't think it, anyone else influenced that decision. We were all pushing for, for there, there to be no brother. We were all pushing for that because we thought that was at least, and still to this day to me, that felt like the right thing to do with Eddie, but. I, th I think didn't we feel that that maybe when the kids saw how pathetic he was that they would feel sorry for him and their anger would dissipate yeah i think that was it <laughs> oh wait a minute okay hold on now that was I'm, it i start to remember this a little bit better their anger dissipates it it, it starts to turn into a super like happy touchy feely everyone hugs it was supposed to turn into like this super schmaltzy lovey ending and then the cops show up and they all get thrown in the fucking back of the <laughs> oh and that's they're all right. taken away and all we do is sweep oh, their back of their heads in the cop cars and they're all taken oh. away from all the destruction and shit that's happened in this moment and that, i i remember that i go oh my god that's perfect that's how we're gonna do it danny's like nope <laughs> oh Oh, Sorry, that's just hit me like a ton of bricks remembering that. Yeah. I thought about <laughs> the police. <gasps> the police, and they're all in the back of the van, and nobody's <laughs> talking. Like, everyone's just pissed. <laughs> what could have been if we would have had it happen? Oh, it was <laughs> such a great ending. And you know. now, I'm going to ask each one of you individually. Now, obviously, all three of you think differently than one another and everybody thinks differently than Danny as well as the board artist and every other writer and everybody else that you've worked with. Now, obviously everybody has their favorites as far as characters or clicks go. Was there any 
part of this movie that you guys didn't get in there or you guys were fighting for specifically for a character or a, a group of the kids or some kind of plot line that you fought for that didn't make it in that you wanted to make in? Aside from that ending? Um, yeah, aside from the um, ending. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember because I... I at least for me, I was a big part of writing like act one. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was, I, I had to go back. I had to go back home because I had flown up there to, to kind of brainstorm with, with Rach and Jono. And then, uh, and then I kind of was, I wasn't directly involved in the second and third acts, but I remember getting phone calls and emails from both constantly like, okay, what should we do? Like we were collaborating at all times, even, yeah. even though I wasn't physically present. Um, so, um, but I don't distinctly remember any one thing other than the ending. Like we said, we were so hot on that ending and it just got tossed. And after that, it was just kind of like, well, you know, what does Danny want? (laughs) So kind of did what, what he wanted. So I don't remember anything specific. Do you guys? I'm trying to remember the locations of act two. Like I remember the mini golf. Yeah, the field with the with the um, sunflowers, right? Yeah. I love that scene. Actually, it's so it's cool. very yes. it's very pretty. Yes, yeah, very pretty scene. There's some that's, really cool visual things that happen. That's where I that's where I noticed. Like like when I was talking about the color palette. It just it seems so fucking vibrant when yeah. Wolf in there hiding from Rolf, and then Sarah and Jimmy are in there hiding from the cankers, and then they're both trying to get out and go their separate ways. I just remember looking around like fuck dude this is tarantino-esque as far as the colors the visuals and everything like that goes it just felt like man it felt like you were there like you could smell those flowers you could smell pig shit you can smell jimmy and sarah and all that other shit i know it sounds weird but it it just brought you in it made you feel like you were a part of the scene um now obviously you said you couldn't what's that go ahead i was gonna say we should give props to bonnie because she was the color stylist assuming that was bonnie's work yeah Yeah, Yeah. it was really pretty shout out to bonnie um with uh with that being said and that you know being the second arc or the second half of the story or second part of the story um what what was harder as far as transitioning was it that first second third as far as acts go or was it what was the most difficult part about this movie for you guys individually Well, Act Two. Yeah, Act Two a bitch. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Act Two was a constant struggle of trying to give everyone a purpose mm-hmm. and, and keep the momentum, like keep the momentum yeah. going. Because I think, like, because we obviously we sent them off to like a gag factory and stuff like that. So it's like trying to find like places that were obviously you could you could pass off as in the local area like okay they think they've gone for absolute miles and they haven't they've gone about like 15 minutes down the road but in, in kids in kid miles it's like ages away um so like with locations like that it had to be obviously different but there wouldn't be loads of people around so um but obviously there was enough going on you know like that we could do gags like snakes coming out the can and things like that so yeah um it was just it, it was that and also I think it was interesting, like with Double D kind of freaking out of like, do you even fucking know where we're going? Like, why have you sent us off on this on this goose chase? Because that's I think that's how we felt inside, wasn't it, lads? So it's like it was just like <laughs> oh, that was our terrible dialogue of where is this going? Kind of felt like yeah, once we were like, okay, this is a whole different movie. It's like, okay, we don't even know where we're going, let alone. Yeah. <laughs> 
do you guys have any input as far as the producers are coming? Did it, Now, obviously, we've talked about Danny and, and where his stance was on the show, and it was his word, or it was his, it was his story to tell, essentially. But with the movie coming up, I mean, is there any of the outside uh, influences coming in to try to help and mold this movie? Or is this 100% AKA from start to finish and inside and out? Yeah, just AKA. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I figured as much. So. Everything was done in-house. Everything was. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I remember, you know, Danny wanted it to be something cool, right? And he... Yeah. And he he wanted them to leave the cul-de-sac and go to new places and, and break break rules of the series, right? Yeah, he wanted you know? to break rules. He wanted to really have a, a surprise ending. Um, we were always talking about some ending to, you know, screw everybody's minds up, you know? Like, you know, I think that one time we talked about Double D being a girl or something, you know, and they find out at the end or something, you know, like just we're just trying to throw everybody off like we have just radically like stuck a stake through the middle of this show and then we're just dropping the mic and walking away you know? yeah yeah <laughs> I, I always i always like that idea that they pull double these hat off and all this long hair flows out oh, i don't know cute. why did you have to bring up the hat that question was asked so many times that question oh, yeah. <laughs> And they're, from doing this podcast, sidebar for just a second, <clears throat> from doing this podcast, there's been a couple people that I've had on as far as shows go, Edit and Eddie being one, and Cat Dog creator Peter Hannon being the other one, where until I started asking for fans questions, I never once thought about what was under Double D's hat. Never, ever, ever did I ever think, man, what's under that fucker's hat, man, because I, he's got to be hiding something. Never thought about it. I was blown away by the first time I started getting fans questions and literally the first seven questions were what's under double D's hat. Right. And then you switch over to Peter Hannon. If you guys ever watch the show cat dog on Nickelodeon, it's a dog and a cat conjoined. When I asked for fans questions, what do you think would be the first question asked? If you had to guess a cat and a dog conjoined, what, what, what would you guys ask? How? <laughs> Who are the parents? No, oh, that's that's pretty close, or not really close, but it, it, it's a good one. But Jono, what do you think you would ask if there was a cat and a dog conjoined together? I don't know. I I would ask, how did they get that way? How they, you would think that would be. Move? Thank you, fucking Mike Kubat, man. A hundred percent. I had so many fucking questions over how does cat dog take a shit, and I'm sitting here thinking like. Where the fuck have these people gone wrong in their lives? Who touched them, who hurt them, who yelled at them to want them to know a cartoon fucking character that is fictitious? How do they take a shit, right? Never in my wildest dreams <laughs> does that ever come up to my mind. How do they take a shit? But nonetheless, it was asked. And it's the same thing with this one. And Jono, you just brought back the evil, evil, evil question. I'm going to get so many comments about why didn't you ask? Why didn't you ask? There's no answer. No, nobody knows. If you ask Jono and you ask Mike and you ask Rachel, each one of them will give you a different answer to throw you off of what was really. It's just who knows? You know, that, that's what Danny wanted. Well, um, mystery. Yeah. yeah. Keep the people wanting more. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's because, the num number one rule of content creating. Keep them wanting more. Because, I mean, you know, you guys might feel a bit different on this one, but I feel like the, the moment you say, oh, it's this someone's going to be disappointed. Someone's going to go, that's fucking oh, yeah. shit, that. Do you know what I mean? So it's if you never, ever answer that question, it can be open to interpretation forever, mm -hmm. you know? 
Did you guys ever get the chance to watch the episode I did with all three of the Ed Boys? Yeah, I, I saw yeah. it. Yeah, it's good. Tony, yeah. Tony had my favorite. He had my favorite, favorite, favorite. What is under Double D's hat? Answer. And he was like a giant dildo stuck to Double D's head. He takes it off like and a it's rhino, just right? Yeah. Can <laughs> he say like unicorn or something? Yeah. And then what's crazy is the guy that's doing Peach Creek, George Abingdon. He's uh, he he animated that. And I don't know if he put the dildo on Double D's head, but he animated that whole that whole little chat what was under his hat. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but getting back to the uh, big picture show, sidebar over. Um, so we get to that 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 second act, and we're seeing um, almost everybody's story start to come together. Everybody is getting close to the hunt. We're almost to the point where we're starting to see where Ed, Ed, and Eddie go. Um, what? Who? First off, who did the? And you guys might not know, but who did the scene with the? Um, it was the boat that Double D put together, and it was the chicken that was bobbing in the water, like you would have on somebody's desk that would bob. Who, who thought of that? Was that a writer, or would that be an artist? I'm sure I don't know, but artist. I would say it's probably. I feel like that'd be a Scott thing, Jono. Yeah. Be, God, I think that's no, no one else would come yeah. up with that. I thought that was phenomenal. I thought that was so funny. Like, because it's, it's once the boat crashes. It's just bobbing in the water. And I'm sitting like, what the fuck is... I'm like, oh, this son of a bitch. Whoever did this is a goddamn genius. I, I, I was so just so elated to see that. I thought it was one of those things that not very many people would get. It would be a throwaway type of thing. But the the, the few people that would got it, that would get it, was like, oh, man, we really appreciate that scene. So I, I thought that one was, was really cool. Um, but uh, like I said, everybody's story is starting to converge. So all those... All those little kernels or all those seeds that you guys started to sow in the beginning of this movie, they're all starting to come. Everybody's starting to find their purpose. You said this was the hardest part, trying to transition into this act to the final act and everything like that. Once you guys start to get there, is it is it easier at this point or is it just as hard as act one and act two was? The whole process is hard. <laughs> <laughs> the whole process is just it's pulling teeth all the time. And, and yeah, that second act was really tough. I do remember struggling with it and a lot of phone calls, a lot of face palms and head banging against your desk and just really hard to get, get through. Um, it's harder. It's hard to think of individual things because every, every, it felt like every idea we had and every time we tried to push it in a certain way, we just kept getting pushback on it. And, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, was I, tough. I, I just remember it being really, really tough to get through like a slog to get through that, you know, to get through that whole, the whole piece. And I didn't even do much of it. It was mostly, Jono and Rachel at that point. I think um, there was there was another wasn't there another writer? Stacy, yeah. yeah, Stacy. Yeah, so I don't I I'm not sure. I didn't get to work with her directly. I think you did, Rachel, and and maybe you, Jono. But wasn't there somebody else as well besides Stacy? You know, I know there was Stacy, but I, I I mean, because of, I don't freaking know to be honest. Maybe yeah. We might have yeah. brought in like one or two other people who were like. And I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I try to stay away from those type of questions because it is so long ago. The movie came out 13 years ago, but you guys were probably working on this a year 15. or two prior. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it, it, yeah, it's, it's for sure. You know, it's been some time, man. That's almost half of my life at that point. So I can only imagine all the shows that you guys have went to work on. It, it, it's it's all a fucking blur because I can't remember what I cooked two weeks ago at work, let alone what I did fucking 15 years ago. It, it's crazy. Um, but I figure when we ask those type of questions, if we might not get the answers, it might trigger something down the road. Now, getting into, you know, so we're starting to wrap this movie up. Obviously, we're seeing the kids all start to converge and we end up in the uh, like Eddie's brother is a fucking carny. Right. So Eddie's just travel or did they ever say I, I know they didn't. But was there ever kicked around the idea of, of Eddie's brother's name? Or was that just like the hat and just like the the scam thing? It was something to be mysterious. There might have been, but nothing that was ever committed to paper. Um, yeah. Again, it was just always, he was just enig like this enigma to the end. Mm, you yeah. know? I mean, I don't know, John, did you, did, was anything ever mentioned to you about a, a name? I don't remember a name, but I, I do remember that at one point there was, it had to be decided whether we were actually going to see him or not. Yeah. And whether he was actually going to appear on screen. And then did Danny do his voice? Is it? Yeah. Danny really? Did... No, no, no. That was, uh, that was Terry Classen. Terry Classen. That's it. Terry Classen. Oh, that's right. And he was the voice, the voice director. director. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I didn't know that, man. Uh, you should read the credits, is what I'm getting at. Can <laughs> someone remind me what did the Cankers do? Oh, they, uh, as far as in the movie goes? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they were they were trying to protect the Eds from the group of kids. So right. they originally had, it was like a very 300-esque. You remember when the guy in 300 came down and he had all the slaves carrying him? They did that to Jimmy and uh, uh, Sarah. And then Sarah smashes, uh, smashes her toe with a paint can and they run off. And uh, they originally get to the, the, the amusement park after they beat the shit out of Eddie's brother, spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, after the, the group of kids beat the shit out of Eddie's brother, they take him into the trailer and they said the first, and the only reason I know all this is not, I'm not a super fan. I just finished watching this right before we got on again. Um, so they take him into his trailer, Eddie's brother into his trailer. And they said the first one or last one, first one that makes it in gets to perform mouth to mouth on Eddie's brother as he's unconscious being drugged it was very rapey vibe if you will um yeah. you know so but if anybody could pull it off it's the canker sisters yeah. um and uh yeah so that's kind of what happened with the cankers if, if, i'm hoping that'll that's the answer you were looking for jono <laughs> yeah yeah no because i remembered i think it was woody who came up with that idea that as the kids go after the eds the cankers go after the kids yeah 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 i take them out yeah, it, it, it was an interesting, I don't see how, now obviously there's so many moving parts and everybody had their their little piece of this movie. I, I'm i always amazed when you guys can start off with a story as simple as, oh, these kids are pissed and these are who they're pissed off at. And then you take that little itty bitty kernel, right? And then you just spin this fucking tail that's wild. You've got all of these different characters that look different, think different, sound different. They're all competing for the same thing, beating the shit out of the Eds. And then you've got the cankers that are trying to protect the Eds. And then you've got Eddie's brother in here. He's, you know, the white whale, no pun intended, because it's what they refer to him in the movie. Um, it's all of these things are spinning. And, and, it, and it made it feel like not once that I feel like this doesn't seem like a cohesive story. Right? 
everything has a oh good meaning. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Woo! Did you, did, looking back, do you guys feel like it was it's it's out of place or shit's all over the place? I mean, obviously, when you guys were going through writing, I'm pretty sure it was stressful as fuck. But after seeing it, do you guys felt like it worked really well together? It meshed. I I really like Act One. I think Act One is super solid and and just sets the whole thing up and really gets the ball rolling. I think Act Two is a little bit wishy washy. And it, so what you're saying is, as soon as you left, they all went to shit. <laughs> that is you guys essentially hear, what he's saying. You guys yeah. hear that, Jonathan? You hear that, Rachel? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we already had the whole opening and act one was basically in the can and already in and we and and we were going towards a a, a logical conclude our conclusion in act three so when everything got changed when danny's brother became existing it really it kind of threw us all off and i think when i the last time i watched the movie which was a couple of years ago i just remember that second act being a little bit it's just not as strong not as tight not as not as good as the first act and then you know i'm still i'll be honest disappointed that you know we didn't go with our endings like we yeah. had a couple of really powerful really emotional and really funny funny endings um but you know they all involved you know the brother not existing and i and yeah. i i still to this day think that was it's not my show it's not my decision to make but i think it was a wrong decision to make the brother an actual character i to this day i still think we we would have had a stronger ending if he didn't exist yeah yeah what about you Jono? well i feel like we were learning right it was all the first time writing a feature length story for all yeah. of us and and i remember watching it years later and thinking oh i wish i could rewrite that knowing what i know now mm -hmm. about feature writing but didn't get back then you know yeah. what do you what do you do you know what about you rachel if uh see sorry <laughs> coops if, if i could if i could make a little, little counterpoint i actually did come round to the idea of eddie's brother being real and i'll tell you why because how many kids build up people in their family or from their childhood oh they're the greatest oh they've done such amazing things in their life oh so close oh god and then they meet them when they're older or they meet them again at a party or something go this guy with your head do you know what i mean like who, you know and it, it can be a very pivotal moment for, for that kid you know what i mean of just yeah. realizing like what's changed with them and you know like uh, actually this person sucks and it's like I, I just kind of felt like that is something that so many people can relate to you know I think we've all got someone in our past that's been like we thought they were just like God's gift and then like as we got older it's like they were just dodgy as hell you know what I mean and it just and I feel like because it was also meshed with the fact that Eddie did have to fess up and go I just made all that up because I wanted people to like me again I just think that's that's something that's deeply relatable and it's got that vulnerability that Eddie was lacking sometimes and I think that, that kind of then led into the, the kids forgiving them. So, yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, you. Legit. So, <laughs> totally legit. Who's, who, who, in your, who in your family, Rachel, were you talking about? Because you felt really strong I, well, about... Yeah, well, what does their name rhyme with? What does their name no, rhyme no, with, no. Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So as we start to transition into the fans' questions, uh, before we do that, there is one thing I have to say is... Like I tell you guys all the time, thank you for spending some time with me. 
Uh, I really appreciate it. And if it wasn't for you, Mike, Mike, you were the first guy that opened up my idea about this podcast as far as, hey, you should talk to some of the artists on here too, because they were really cool. I had thought about that, but I had assumed that like most people, they just got more important shit to do than talk to me, right? So I, I, I never thought about it. I was like, I'll just message whoever I can. And if they respond, they respond. I won't chase anybody. Um, I don't think I'll get as far as I have gotten in this past year um, because it was about a year ago that you and I talked for the first time. Yeah, I believe so. It fucking flies by quickly. In five days or four days, I can't remember. You're supposed to remember anniversaries. The only one I really remember is my wife's and I's wedding anniversary because I don't want to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> but if it wasn't for, you know, something like that, I, 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 I don't remember dates is what I'm getting at. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have had some of the best artists. And if it wasn't for you, John, oh man, you wouldn't have said, hey, you should really talk to Rachel. And if it wouldn't have been for you, Rachel, hey, you should really talk to Sabrina. You should really talk. You guys are so great about bumping each other up or telling like, hey, I did this, but Jono did this and he was great with this and Sabrina did this and Big Jim did this and Joel did this. So you guys have really opened up a world of just this show to me and getting to chat with you guys has been really fun over these last this last year. Um, and Oh, I haven't you. talked about this stuff in years, so it's nice to bring it up and kind of remember it again, you know, and yeah. I mean, it was challenging and there's a lot of heartbreak and tears, but um, overall, I mean, you know, it's it's just something we did and people love it and it's still important to a lot of people. And like I've said many times, I mean, nothing makes my day greater than meeting a fan and watching their head explode when, yeah. you know, they, they find out I, I had a hand in something that they loved as a kid. And it's just like, it's just such an amazing, awesome feeling to, to, to see their joy and get to relive that with them. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally down. Well, I wish, I wish to God we had filmed like a documentary style, the making of the show. Cause it would have been such a good Documents. All of you would have been canceled out of your profession. A hundred percent. We would have not been able to work in this industry no. anymore. But it wasn't even our fault. It's just like this was the chaos around us. We were just caught in a storm all the time. That it's it's definitely one thing I think needs to be done is definitely a documentary on AK, and I hope one day somebody does it. Um, but like I said, man, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time for me. And uh, we got some really good fans questions. You guys are tied for actually you guys might have one more question than the most I've ever been asked as far as anybody goes on. Nice. Anybody that's come on. Um, so we'll get to as many as we can. Uh, and we already know the answer to this one because I brought it up. But Ian wants to know what was the original plan for the scam? Was there an original plan or was it always to keep it mysterious? Yeah, mysterious. There, mm. there, we we never knew what the scam was. We just knew that it had to be it just it had to be the scam to end all scams. Scamageddon, yeah. I think we Scamageddon, yeah. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right there. That is a t-shirt, aka cartoons, man. Cash in on that one. Now I, 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 I go ahead, Rachel. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say I could have sworn Scamageddon was actually the working title for the film at one point. Um yeah, I'm pretty sure one. it might have been. I could just be making that shit up in my head and not realize, but I'm pretty sure it was Scamageddon. That was the working title that we had. Hey, man, I'll go down this rabbit hole. I'll say it was Scamageddon <laughs> and I wasn't there. So, <laughs> uh, But I, I very rarely do I like to do hypothetical questions, but they always lead down a road that's interesting. And each one of you, uh, if you could have a hypothetical scam 
if you could have made that happen, Jono, what would be your scam? Michael, what would be your scam? And Rachel, what would be your scam? So Jono, you're up first. What would be your scam what? to set all these people off? I know I hate to put you in the pressure seat, but <laughs> pressure does two things, Jono. It busts pipes and it, it makes diamonds. What are you going to be, a busted pipe or a diamond, Jono? <laughs> a busted pipe. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> so is the question like, if, if that scam was real, what was it? Or no, no, no. If, if you could make it, if you could make up a scam, hypothetically, if you could put that scam in there and that's what it would be, what would your idea for a scam be? But, and it would have the same objective, which is to like piss off the kids. <laughs> yeah. What would you or... want to do to piss off all the kids, Jono, is what I'm getting at. Oh, man. It's tough because they all have such different motivations, right? Mm. So yeah. Like you'd want, you'd want to you'd want to characterize each element like Naz got this happened to her and Kevin's bike got destroyed. Okay. Pig, you know, is. We'll do, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that. Let's, let's just pick one character. So everybody take a character and think about it and we'll come back to that one at the end, but pick a character that you would want to piss off so much that they would want to chase and we'll keep it real Scooby-Doo. That's a throwback to Mike and big Jim Scooby-Doo fuck ups. So, um, and some of these names are uh, are very funny. <clears throat> Moist Monkey wants to know, why was Eddie's brother brought on at the very end? And why did his brother leave? Obviously, you answered that with Danny said it had to be on there. He had to be in there. It could have been a figment. It had to be real. But uh, why did his brother leave? Leave and the cul-de-sac, you mean? Yeah, I'm assuming why they meant from the cul-de-sac. He's an older brother. He moved out of the house as all older brothers and sisters do so i think that was just a natural thing for him to leave but he was a legend like eddie always we always played him to be this urban you know the cul-de-sac legend he was like this legendary dude and i mean i grew up in a small town i knew guys just like eddie's mm -hmm. older brother like that had this status around them and you know they were like these legends in their little yeah. towns and stuff and eddie really played that so um yeah and then you know that you know he he again we we didn't we never planned on him existing until this happened so that's why he just ends up showing up yeah. at the movie because it was just you know was danny's choice I, I always feel like it had to do with danny's youth as well yeah. like he he wanted to capture what life was like when he was young and i feel like that it this is almost the 70s vibe sometimes there yeah. was always a 70s vibe on that show though because it was they were always doing things and we were never allowed technology like no technology yeah. was ever allowed he didn't want to he didn't want to keep it timeless data. yeah he wanted to keep it timeless. um other than just picking a number what was the significance of 62 because you see it on his jersey and I'm assuming, well, you're laughing, so there's got to be a funny story here. <laughs> Not really. No, no. no. no wasn't that just something that Rudy just latched on to, 62? It, it was, yeah, it was the storyboard seniors. It was like Woody and Joel and Scott saying, and they wouldn't say 62, they would say sissy two. I don't know why. They Everything would be sissy two. Like, let's have <laughs> lunches and Sissy two shoes on. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason. I, Beautiful. I, like I don't even get it. No, I don't. I don't. 
but I don't know. But you know what? To this day, I still say I've got City Two problems, but a bitch ain't one. Like, so it's just it's a hundred percent in my lexicon now. Um, yeah. You know, I pull out a teaser trailer for every episode. It's generally somebody asking a question or somebody singing a song. I feel like what you just said should be the teaser for this fucking episode. Um, so. Hey, this Matt, is a- you got sorry you, you got to understand that the 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 boardroom like the storyboard guys okay. especially the seniors that stayed there the entire production evolved this whole like language and way of relating to each other yeah. that was theirs yeah and they did all kinds of weird things to each other all the time and then when the new oh. board artists would come in they would test them to see yeah. if you could do them to them, and it... <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard some of those stories, and I've had to cut out a lot of those stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> quite a few of them have been very, very good. And I have like the first. I won't tell the story, but Joel told me a story where I couldn't breathe for the first three fucking minutes of the episode. I was in tears, just ugly fat girl crying. Just I could not catch my breath. It was so funny. And he was like, hey, man, can we cut that out? Because I don't want to lose my job. And I'm like, fucking no problem. Man. <laughs> I, so, I you probably have that problem with doing podcasts about this particular show and crew of people that worked on it. I think you're a problem in a lot. Hey, we got this uh, really awesome story. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. We can't let anybody know that. A hundred percent. I think you guys are the only ones that have asked me to cut out anything. The only time I cut something out is if I fuck up. Um, so I'm trying to make myself look better. You know what I mean? So uh, no, I, there's been a few people that have asked me to to cut some stuff out, but that was such a good impression of Joel, by the way. Like, I just when you did that impression, I was like, "That's bad, gone, Joel." So. Uh, Shabo here wants to know, what would the Eds be up to now? Uh, now they're kids or adults or they yeah. Let's say let's say fifteen years in the future. What are they doing? Eddie's probably selling used cars, probably <laughs> yeah. something like that. or drugs. Yeah. You see, I I think Eddie would be into social media, like he'd be into marketing. And yeah. I'm probably being biased because I'm in marketing, but I can see him doing like the, hey guys, it's Eddie on my mind. And like, here's all the shit I'm doing today. And like, oh, you know, doing those, um, what do you call those, those like, like tough, I mean, Tupperware, whatever they are, those, um, tiered infomercials. Yeah. Oh, no. A py- pyramid scheme? Pyramid scheme? Yeah. 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 Lululemon. I'm just saying, like, like, just conning everyone into giving him money somehow without yeah. anybody else getting anything out of so it. So Bernie Madoff, but animated, is what you're saying. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And a lot funnier and funnier. He would, he would never reach that level. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, it'd probably be like, you know, when you have like a local TV celebrity that does their own commercials? Yeah. Like yeah. That, that would probably be Eddie. He's Matt selling a George food. Foreman grill? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mattress sale, sale, sale. Yeah. We're giving it away. <laughs> uh, Double D, what would Double D be doing? Would he be a safety inspector at a plant or something like that? Oh, yeah. that, that works. Control. He's QA for sure. 
I can see Double D just being eternally in academia, like just signing up for one degree after the other, like, no, I gotta go back to school, gotta go back to <laughs> And you'll just be fucking there to like, till the age of 62, just doing another freaking degree. And like, yeah, I think, I think you just like- the walls, like certificates, yeah. <laughs> like 80 of them. Yeah, bless him. Yeah. Um, so Ed is the I'm, last one. Ed? He's a chicken Ed. wrangler for sure. Uh, Ed's probably a storyboard artist. <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. if if one of the storyboard artists were Ed, who would it be? Scott. Oh Scott. shit! Shots fired. Uh, yeah, Scott. Yeah, I think he's still eating breakfast cereal. Yeah, maybe he gave it up. I don't. Know. I am. What's your favorite? What's your favorite cereal, there, Mike? Oh God, it's the worst shit you can possibly eat and it's always a toss-up between cocoa krispies and peanut butter crunch I'm like, oh it's, it's not the worst shit if you were to, if you were gonna say anything other than captain crunch man i was just gonna delete you off this phone call so butter you gotta go peanut butter that's yes. like that's that's the captain with the plus on it goddamn right Jono, Rachel, what's your cereal of choice? Jono doesn't seem like he eats cereal anymore. He's grown up for that shit. I don't. It, I don't eat cereal anymore. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I, unfortunately, I am now that middle-aged woman who just wants to get back into her skinny jeans again. So I'm just eating like special K quite a bit. But every now and then I'll cheat myself and I'll have like Cocoa Pops or something like that. So yeah, that's my exciting life of cereal. Dude, I eat cereal every day, pretty much every single day. Wow. It's my treat. <laughs> wow. to cereal. Yeah. In wow. fact, I, 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 for a while there, I quit like all sorts of things. I quit all foods. I quit booze. I quit sugar. I quit carbs. I quit everything. Uh, and the one thing I fucking craved more than anything wasn't booze, wasn't heroin. It wasn't nothing. It was cereal. It was Freaking, I was jonesing for cereal so bad every day. I was just, I, I need, I need Captain Crunch. Man. Were you snorting Captain Crunch or were you shooting it up in a fucking spoon? Just <laughs> true story. Uh, Anyways, okay, I digress. Go on. <laughs> but Rachel, I, 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 uh, I want to fit in my my skinny girl jeans too. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna eat. I'm not gonna eat Special K. I'm just gonna continue eating peanut butter crunch. So. But that's neither here nor there. Orly underscore D. I remember hearing the parents would be revealed. I thought they would have been on the bus with Johnny. Was that cut? Uh, I don't think we ever were going to show parents. That was just a hard, hard rule from day one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we showed Eddie's dad's hand one time, right? Yeah. 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 Big, hairy, freaking... And then, and then uh, Ed's mom, I think, grabbed him too. But it was just mm-hmm. an arm. Because it was supposed I, to be the world of kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I really enjoyed the bus scene when Johnny was on there, and you see all the parents. You only see them from the show, or I guess from the collarbones, the clavicle. We're getting real medical here. The clavicle down. You see them, and it's very dark. Like everything is gray and blue and purple. I thought that was a really fucking cool scene. Um, and one of my favorite scenes in this whole thing, and I don't know if you guys will remember it, but it's when johnny and plank get on the bus and then it switches from i go downtown to vengeance and it's plank driving the bus it was one of my favorite parts of that entire fucking movie just plank 
switching the vengeance like he's Batman and just barreling down the the interstate. I I, I thought it was phenomenal. Was, uh, was Johnny as Captain Melonhead? Yeah. 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 And Splinter was Plank. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was there was lots of talk about a spin-off series of Captain yeah, Melonhead. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. It kind of made you feel like it was at the end of the movie because you guys did a you know a Marvel end credit scene before Marvel did an end credit scene with Johnny down there and he turns into Gord, uh, the Gord and he's the villain and we actually got a question about that here in a little bit and I, I was like what the fuck are they talking about and I rewatched I'm like oh shit that's what he's talking about so that would have been an interesting Johnny two by four meets Melonhead meets Gord with Plank and Splinter as a uh, as a spinoff show. Uh, where are we at? Uh, Jared Salt 8 wants to know <clears throat> what was it like knowing you were working on the end of the show? We touched on that a little bit, but as you guys finished that script, what were some of the emotions you guys were going through? Was it just like, ah, oh, this is going to be the last time I get to see these people? Or was it like, man, I'm fucking glad that was done. That was the relief. hardest shit I've ever done. <laughs> relief. Relief. A lot of relief. It's like, that's in the can, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, relief. It was a, it was a struggle getting that thing done, but then you know there was the I mean after the initial like oh my god I'm glad I, I'm not like this is not like occupying every you know inch of space in my brain. Uh, there's the there is that anticipation of seeing it when it's done and you know uh, the process of it being drawn out and made mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean there's always there's always you know you want to see the baby once it's, you know, born, right. You know, so yeah. What about you, John? What were you going through when you finished that up? Well, I had um, had to leave the series because I, I had uh, created a show with a friend of mine, John Eisen, and we actually sold it to a Canadian network the CBC. And so I was kind of like, you know, it felt like it was time because everyone had been even though the series was what six seasons mm-hmm. like pe- people had been at aka for like 10 years yeah, yeah. Like, 99 <laughs> to 2009 it was a long time and obviously it was a great time and and um it was a great show and i remember you know maybe a year afterwards joel th- there was a bunch of us together and joel said so is that going to be the best show we ever work on in our life? And everyone was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like bummed out because we all kind of knew that it was lightning in a bottle and with the animation industry being as difficult as it is, having that, being on something of quality is, is difficult. Yeah, I feel you, man. What about you, Rachel? What were you going through? I think, I think to kind of echo what, what Jono was saying, like, oh, <laughs> With this, with the actual show and the characters themselves, as much as I deeply loved all of them and, and loved working in this world and stuff, it just felt like we'd, you know, and I've and I've said this a few times, I feel like we'd kind of wrapped it up as, as strongly as we could and we'd cover all this different ground and stuff. So it was kind of bittersweet of like I feel that we're doing the characters justice, but also it is gonna be kind of sad to put this, you know, put these toys away essentially. But I think what I was sad about was, as, as Jono was saying, knowing that when this wraps, we're all going to go our separate ways and be quite difficult to, you know, um, get that magic in the same room again, if, if that makes any sense. So, like, this was kind of like, it was just the perfect storm of just uh, the right group of people who all got each other and all worked so well together. Um, and it was it was wondering 
if that would happen again or you know um how how would you recapture that kind of thing because if because i don't think anyone like actually set out to create that it just kind of happened organically mm-hmm. gotcha uh well i gotta imagine like like john was saying i mean 10 years is a long time to spend with somebody it's unheard of for an for an astute like obviously you'll have I don't want to say a revolving door because it makes it sound like nobody wanted to work there, but you would have some people that would come in, wouldn't last long, and they'd be right out there. But the core of you guys were there for fucking 10 years, man. Like I said, hats off to you guys and everybody at AKA. Very rarely do you ever see that anywhere these days, whether it's I work in a restaurant and I've been working here for almost a year at this place I'm at now. And between me and my chef, we're the only two people that have been there for a year that started out whenever we do this huge shift over change so many people come and go so you know it, it's crazy to think that this might be the last time that we ever see a, a studio last that long with all the same pieces man so like i guess it hats off to you guys did a lot of great work uh you know during there uh during that time uh jim underscore the paint can wants to know i really feel like that'd be a big jim miller name you know what i mean big jim the paint can um was there any cut material now we talked about this a little bit too but Maybe something to jar around. Um, was there any cut material from the film uh, that was going to be released at a later date? Do you guys know of? That was a that was a pretty frequent question as well. If there was anything that was cut that was later going to make it on the uh, like the behind the scenes or extra like credits or deleted scenes. Yeah. You made it sound so official too, Rachel. Thank you for that. I'm sitting here bumbling. <laughs> like like, oh, the director's cut. <laughs> Look at this idiot over here. Mind all these years, would you like to see it? Together for us. Yeah. <laughs> Four and a half hours long. It's the definite <laughs> version of the movie. You're going to piss so many people off. <laughs> it, it makes you wonder, though, is there, some, is there some footage that got cut? You know who would know? We wouldn't know, but Dan Seawe would know. Yeah, yeah. Dan Seawe would know. Dan Seawe could answer that question. So whoever... Big Jim underscore the paint can. He needs to reach out to Siwi. Make sure that happens. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Uh, he's got another part of this one, um, and this one's funny because I, I just thought it was I thought it was a cool. And we just we just talked about it a little bit with Jimmy or Johnny, excuse me. Uh, Why Johnny not get a happy ending? And was Plank Johnny's evil side? And did he give in and become a villain? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if if yeah. that spinoff series happens, does does he keep up with that that villain, the Gord, and Plank being evil, or what do you think? Well, it was never developed, but I I think just off the top of my head, I it, it would be he fighting himself. Yeah, <laughs> he's both. He's the villain and the good guy, and it would be every episode. It's like Two Face. He just <laughs> he just turns it on and off, fighting himself all the time. But why didn't he get a happy ending like the rest of everybody? Was it just to push a plot line and that was the possible end? The end goal was him getting his own series. So they had to give, you know, some kind of some kind of backstory to it, maybe. No, I don't remember to you. Does it yeah. anybody? But so what everybody, all the other kids got a happy ending? Yeah, because they beat the shit out of Johnny at the end, because you know, at the end when all the other kids reconcile with Eddie because they see him. He see they see his brother beat the shit out of him essentially. Right. So Johnny wasn't there when that happened. So nobody had a change of heart. It was like the Grinch. His heart grew three sizes too big, or whatever that shit was. Um, that's not me shitting on the Grinch. I like the Grinch movie, but I'm just using that as a reference. But <clears throat> they don't Johnny doesn't see the uh see what happens to Eddie. The other kids do, and that's when they stick up for him. So they beat the shit out of Johnny. 
because he was trying to beat the shit out of the Eds. So he doesn't have a happy storybook ending like Eddie and the kids did. Oh, I think I think Danny just wanted the kids to defend Eddie for yeah. the first yeah. time in his life against someone. And it was like, well, make it make it beat Johnny. the shit out of Johnny. <laughs> it's a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it depends There's on who you ask. Deep into it, you get it. it. <laughs> There's this fan base is one of the most rabid fan bases I have ever seen, both good, bad, and indifferent. I've had, with the exception of, and I've never had anybody from My Little Pony on. There's nothing wrong with My Little Pony, so that's not what I'm getting at. So please don't fucking tweet me about this shit. But there was, there's nothing wrong with My Little Pony. It's just, it's not, it wasn't made for me. I know there's bronies out there. That's cool. No, 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 no. I don't want any smoke from those guys and gals. But I have never met more pieces of shit, right, than, than fans of this show. And not all of them, just a just a select few in the My Little Pony crew. Those two fan bases, I don't know what the fuck it is, but these are ride. These are the people you want to go into war with. These are these fuckers are ride or die. And th- like I said, some of the most mean, 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 mean motherfuckers I've ever met in my life have been Ed, Ed and Eddie fans. But that's neither here nor there because I'm having a great time. How about you guys? <laughs> so please. Oh, I'm- I'm going to sound so Pollyanna right now, but I've honestly only ever met the nice Ed, Ed and Eddie fans. I've not, I've been fortunate and not had the dickheads rock up and bother me. Everyone I've spoke to has been like so far really nice yeah. and really cool and just like really into the show and stuff. But yeah, you, you, you seem haunted, Julian. It seems like you've had a bad experience. We'll be right back. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Simon's Ups, I'm assuming, or Simon Supps wants to know. Uh, and we were just talking about this with Johnny, but what would the Gord that was the evil villain that Johnny turned into at the end of the movie, what would his powers and abilities be? And would Captain Melonhead win in a fight against the Gord? Another hypothetical, but I feel it's like a good one. Yeah. I feel like this is a big Jim question because I, I get the feeling big Jim was involved with the Gord stuff because because. I would say, I don't know, like, Jono, do you get that feeling as well? Like, yeah. is James trying to his DC and stuff? Yeah, I, Jim, I think, was the driving force behind Melonhead and because he was a comic book guy, yeah. So who would win? Melonhead or the Gord? You know, Melonhead, of course. Yeah. Of course, Melonhead. What about you, Mike? You gonna be, you gonna agree with them or are you gonna go against them? You gonna say the Gord? Gord. Fuck yeah. Edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> So this what would all his... happen in the writer's room? <laughs> uh, no one defeats Splinter. No, he's undefeated. <laughs> he's, he's like the internet. He's undefeated. He's like, you know, the Green Hornet and Cato. Like, everybody knew Cato could kick everybody's ass. Uh, so what would his superpowers be? If, if you could pick one superpower, each one of you, but if you could pick one superpower for the Gourd and one superpower for the Melonhead, Jono, what are you picking for each one? I, I don't even remember. What the hell was the gourd? Was he it just... just... <laughs> he just literally... T- is the same thing as Melonhead. Instead of taking a watermelon where he cut it in half, cut out some eyes, he took one of those Thanksgiving gourds, cut it in half, and he just looked evil and shit. So that was the only thing. And he had a cape <laughs> on, so... Oh, somebody else go first. Okay. <laughs> Rachel, you're into comic books. What What is... Um... Oh, I, pressure seat, man. So, <laughs> What is Melonhead getting for a superpower, and what is the Gord getting for a superpower? Um, the Gord has the power to. Oh, 
God. Um, <laughs> basically, fuck, you put me on the spot. Um, I think I think you'd have the power just to make everyone really bummed out and just make them all withered and like you know like really just depressed and unmotivated and just make them feel constantly hungover all the time. I think that would be his power, just like instant hangover. So I think that would be the goal. Yeah, yeah. So what about um, Millhead? Oh come on, you two want you two answer it. I don't know. <laughs> Mike, Mike, what's Melonhead got? Melonhead's got um a machine gun watermelon seed Ooh. mouth spit where he can shoot seeds like miles with yeah. deadly accuracy. Now you're talking seed, watermelon seed, correct? We're not talking yeah. okay, I just want to make sure. Or any melon <laughs> whatever. He's melonhead. If a melon has a seed, he can he knows what to do with it. It's kind of like an expert marksman, except he's that way with seeds. So he, oh. he's the he's dead shot, is what you're saying. Oh, she's got yeah. an idea. And the gourd, the gourd special power is confusing everyone because he's always out of season. <laughs> I, th- I think I've got one. Um with Melonhead, it'd be like some kind of crazy like macrame um ability where he could just like make lethal like macrame weapons or like you know traps and things like i think he'd just be like like a bit of a hunt, like a hunter in that way when he yeah. could just set traps for his his enemies and stuff out of like elaborate it does be like yeah he could set traps he'd be very like skilled at using nature around him yeah well, he's buffalo bill from silence of the lambs <laughs> anybody yeah <laughs> it puts the lips on its skin or it gets the hose again <laughs> you're up next jano what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, don't these people realize that that writers agonize for days to come up with these? Yeah. I know that's why we're putting you on the yeah, pressure sheet now. Come up with them. I was going to say something more subtle, like the gourd. The gourd has the ability to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, makes you want to shit your pants, huh? It's like diarrhea. It just, just happens. Like it just stares at you until you're like. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to surprise me. The one time I got really annoyed with with Ruth. Vincent Ruth, who's one of the producers, and she's lovely. Um, I was really struggling with like getting a deadline done. She went, I just don't get your problem. Why did, can't you just sit down and write it? And I was like, first of all, how dare you I suggest I just sit down and write it? And like, I got really shitty with that. <laughs> so Gore's making everybody feel uncomfortable, Jono. What's Melonhead got? Oh, besides his his seeds? Yeah, man. He can't be a one-trick pony. Oh God, Melonhead probably talks too much and and it drives you insane. <laughs> He's got those by crazy not, monologues by not shutting up. I'm just picturing Johnny. Yeah, he's yeah. got a pretty irritating voice. Oh. <laughs> you guys talk about Johnny or about me? <laughs> just like doesn't shut off and doesn't annoy his face. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, Bites underscore za underscore ducka, I think. What made you go with the road trip for the plot? Was it that, uh, oh shit, it wasn't Blue Velvet. What was the um, Mad, oh, Mad, 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 Mad World? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was kind of based on that journey of everybody just scrambling, trying to get to the same thing. Yeah. Okay. And we had a move, like it always had a move, right? We had a, we were mandated to take it out of the cul-de-sac. So we, you know, it had to be a road trip. Beautiful. S-E-N-S-N-E-S forever wants to know, 
Did any of the voice actors have any input considering that it was the final Ed installment? And what I mean by input, or what I'm assuming they mean by input, did they have anything like, hey, you know, maybe we could do something like this or say my character could say something like this in the movie since this is the last one, or was it all Danny again? No, I mean, shit, by the time the voice actors got the script, it had already been through the process. So we yeah. never we never collaborated with the voice actors. Um, in fact, the only time I've ever done that was just relatively recently with uh, with the, with the show I was working at um, at Disney because I know one of the voice actors and and he well he does the voice of Donald Duck and and unfortunately he can't say certain things so when I was doing dialogue I had a, I would hit him up via text and go hey can you say this sentence and he'd be like do his Donald Duck voice and say yeah I can totally do that one and, all right cool then I would put it in the script because. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't do the voice and it's very, very difficult. But other than that, I don't think that ever happens ever, you yeah. know. Beautiful. Uh, <clears throat> Golden Turtle wants to know, did Eddie's brother actually work at the Lemon, the Lemon Brook Gag Factory or was he just a regular? Now, before you guys answer that, when I heard Lemon Gag Factory, the first thing I thought of was like, I don't know if that's a gag factory or a gag factory. You know what I mean? I didn't know if this was a sex shop because every time you hear about Eddie's brother, you think like, oh, he's greasy, right? He's 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 that dude that that's going to Edgy. the to the Seven Eleven to get the 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 Playboys, like that type of shit. You just you just look like you smell like bologna and wet paper. You know what I mean? Like that that's the vibe I got off. Really of lots of yeah. <laughs> but uh, do you guys think he worked at the factory? or Was he just a regular customer? That's so weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> either, like, either would work, right? Because either is intriguing, right? Like, it would work if that was like a job, his first job. It would kind of make sense because he's a bit of a prankster, I guess, because it, it would make sense for Eddie as well. But I, you know what? Given that his family, I think he probably would work there because then he could just steal stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like he could take stuff. Yeah, and it, it would fit his personality. Yeah. What about you, Rachel? You think he works there, or is he a uh, is he a customer? I, no, I'm I'm I I agree. I think he works there. Um, yeah. I think he, he strike he strikes me as the kind of guy who's got a kind of um, I'm going to put it like versatile work backgrounds. So is probably just any like just taking random jobs and stuff like that. But I can easily see him working somewhere like on a production line or whatever so yeah and and as mike and johnny was saying ties into him being a prankster so yeah i'd agree yeah um <clears throat> where are we at here uh nuke eclipse uh rachel you already answered this one on twitter but i'd be remiss not to ask this one so Mike and Jono, but I want Rachel I want you to give your answer too just in case nobody saw it because I about fell out of my chair with your response uh what did the canker's house smell like rachel let me give or do you remember what you told them i don't do you have it do you want to read it out uh yeah i, I got it right here on twitter i'm at that pause so <laughs> so rachel's answer to what the uh canker's house smelt like was hairspray and axle grease and may's mean bathroom deodorizer and i just told these uh, ladies and gentlemen here uh for the fans that are listening that i thought she said anal grease and i fell out of my chair laughing because I didn't know anal grease had a smell. But when I 
read it again, I was like, oh, she said axle grease. So hairspray, axle grease, and May's Mean Bathroom Deodorizer is what the canker smell like. The canker's house smells like. Mike, that answer goes to you. What does the canker's house smell like? Boiling hot dogs. <laughs> um, cheap perfume. And wet dog. Nice. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. Jono, what does the canker's house smell like? Yeah, I was I was thinking bacon too, like some cheap deli meat, like hot dogs. <laughs> And there's got to be there's got to be some mold in there because I yeah, feel like I feel like odd. I feel like the carpet is moist and it just smells and, like asbestos. You're like, man, this really smelled like it's the '90s again. Like anytime you wear white socks and walk across the carpet, they're dirty. You know that kind of thing. There are for sure a shoes on kind of people when you walk in the house. Um, I always thought it was the same thing as you two thought was it smelled like hot dog water in there and it smelled like nicotine. That's the first thing I thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, sickies, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Not a thing anymore. Uh, well, it depends on whose house you go over to because some people's house is up and over to. It's a thing. Hot yeah. dog smelling all. Um, <clears throat> Nikki wants to know. Uh, was it always planned uh, by Danny, at least? And obviously, you guys can't talk for Danny, but I got to imagine that this has come up in some stories. To end the big picture show with the Eds finally being accepted by the kids of the cul-de-sac. Was that always always in there that they had to be accepted? No? No. no. Beautiful. No, it, it went through a lot of different iterations before it ended up landing on that. So it was a process, like I said. We... we, we we wanted that wah, wah, wah ending, yeah. right? And that, you know, fuck you to all the fans kind of ending, just to, you know, just to rile them all up. But yeah, Danny kind of came in with the, no, I want this to be a happy ending. And yeah. in retrospect, I guess that kind of makes sense because you would expect all the things we wanted to do from mm -hmm. Danny. The fact that he actually had a heartwarming ending that yeah. ends on a positive is totally not like him to do so. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong. What do you guys, what do you, what do you two think? I think I agree with you that he, he wanted to upset expectations to, to you know, not fool people, but surprise them. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, you know, the whole, like you're saying, the whole series is Ed's just getting frustrated. <laughs> And never learning, right? Over and over and over again. Nothing changes, right? The kids just hate them constantly. And and uh, so they're, you know, what's what's the only thing we haven't done? Well, a moment of sympathy. Yeah. But we can do it right here because it's the end. So it, it it was it was cool because it's it's another, I don't want to say it's a throwaway scene because it makes it sound like it it doesn't have a place in there. But it's not something that was a focal point. But when they're carrying the edge at the end of the movie, they're like, oh, man, it's, it's that feeling like, oh, we, we did it. You know, we're their friends now. And then you see Double D turn to the camera. It's like, oh, it only took us 134 episodes, four, four holiday specials and a movie. But we got it right. So you're like, oh, shit, man. There was that little nod in there to just them getting just ragged and drugged the entire series. And then they finally not to get their comeuppance, but they definitely get their like this is what it's like to feel like the hot chick, right? So, I, man, everybody loves me right now. So 
it was a sweet little moment for me at least but what about you Rachel did you did you ever have that that feeling no yeah I mean I I agree I you know um I was I was happy that they they finally got the you know like you know their acceptance and things like that because because again I think it goes back to and they'll keep going on about it the human experience where it's like the fact that you know deep down all awkward tweens want to be accepted for who they are and you know warts and all and the dad's finally got that and I just I don't know I just felt felt like it was a nice sincere note to end on yeah and everybody can relate to it because everybody wants to be liked everybody wants to be appreciated by their peers everybody wants to be accepted and and whatever whatever realm they go around or whatever circles they 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 hang out in everybody just wants to be accepted and loved for who they are so you know i think that's why this this fan base is so like i said rabid everybody loves the show because everybody can point to themselves and like man i remember when i was a johnny I don't, I can't, you know, say I, I remember when I was a Rolf because I'm weird, but I'm just not Rolf weird. Um, you know, so everybody can pick these characters and you find similarities in them and yourself. And then you can kind of sit and be like, oh, fuck, I can feel for that character on a different level. And I think that's why this, this cartoon speaks to so many people and it's spoken to so many people for so long. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Uh, everybody wants to be loved. Um, I don't even know where the fuck we're at right now um oh we're not on this one anymore um in your opinion what do you each feel uh what do you each respect of most about danny as a man and as a showrunner rachel we'll go with you first what do you respect and appreciate the most about danny as a showrunner and a man um maybe just as his tenacity i suppose um just you know uh i know his, his journey through animation was very difficult and, and there were a lot of hurdles and um I know when he was you know when he was younger um he struggled financially to make a lot of things happen and you know not everyone would have really put themselves through a lot of stuff that he put himself through and you know his peers put themselves through so I would say you know um he's he's a very good example of someone who you know persevered yeah what about you Mike when you think about Danny and Tanucci, obviously you got a different relationship with them because, you know, uh, was it your brother? We're, we're him and we're friends, and that's how kind of how you got. Yeah, I, I came into this already being friends with him, so I I kind of had a different entrance into this as far as everybody else. Um, but yeah, like Rachel brings up, I mean, he really the thing I the, the one thing I like about Danny is he just he never gives in. He's like he's like a true artist. He will never sell out. He will never do anything that goes against his his principles or his whatever that is. He's he's just he's very very to the point of I would almost say stubbornness to the point of stupidity a lot of times because he's burned a lot of bridges for this reason. Yeah. But, um, but he just, he will, ne he's relentless. The guy is freaking relentless. He will never give in and he will never let anyone tell him how to do his vision. He just yeah. won't. It, it's, he's, 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 and out of that, you know, I, and he's also very hard. Like he's a hard guy to work with, but he does things of quality. So, you know, I, I it was difficult working with him always always very very difficult working with him but coming out of working with a guy like danny antonucci no one can touch you like there's you're never gonna you're you're ready for the world your skin is this thick and you're ready for anything and 
I, I always give him a lot of admiration and respect and props for kind of con conditioning me and making me, you know, the person that I am today in this industry. Um, he's, he was hugely influ influential that way for me. So, yeah. Beautiful. Jono, what about you? Well, I, I think there's a lot of things. Um, he has um, an amazing bullshit detector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And, uh, you know, he would wield it often. <laughs> like even with, in regards to stories and ideas, right? If you came up with something that was crappy, he'd let you know <clears throat> that it was crappy, you know? And then you'd be like, uh, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> but um, he's also, you know, had, had an eye for talent. Um, like a lot of the board artists, that ended up working there, you know, the, the main guy, the main people, um, they started out as like newbies, board yeah. artists that were just starting, right but he, he was a, he would, you know, he, the, AKA would get a lot of, uh, test boards in when mm -hmm. it started up and he would be really like amazing at picking the most talented people. Like there, there was nobody in AKA who was floating along. There were no freeloaders in AKA. No coasting. Yeah, you had to have chops, or you were, or he would, <laughs> he would find you and throw you out, right? Um, so that was an amazing trait too. And 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 one thing I didn't appreciate until later was that because he fought for the artists and the art. He, he, he had to battle the producers and the network people, mm -hmm. right? Constantly, because in the animation industry, there's all kinds of forces coming from the producers and the network that try and get their fingers into the yes. creative process and wreck it with- <laughs> With awesome results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you need somebody to, mm -hmm. to fight them. Yeah. And in that sense, he was like an icebreaker, like the, the, the metal part of the icebreaker, you know, five inches thick, slamming through the ice of the industry. And we were all in the back. Whee! You know? <laughs> <laughs> like he made yeah. this little, he made this little bubble mm -hmm. where we could be free, you know? And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that because after going from that show to other productions i was appalled that no one like so many people didn't care if it was like any good or not mm -hmm. what we were doing <laughs> like right where the fuck am i like what, yeah. what isn't that your goal every time like it was just there was no standard like within mm -hmm. the group you know what i mean yeah. but the I, bar I, was never impossibly high it was always yeah. eh, you know but i think you need you need somebody to fight yeah, because there's this constant pressure to sell out mm -hmm. constantly yeah. at every level of the show. And he was there going, no, nope, no, nope, we're not selling out on color. We're not selling out on voices. We're not. You know what I mean? Like and you need and, and that's what I mean by, you know, constantly battling, fighting for the art of the show. Fighting for his his show, fighting for his vision and fighting for us, too. Fighting yeah. for our ideas too. So that's admirable. It really and is. Most, 
most people don't have the guts for it. You know, they just, they, they give no up. No one would tell the president of Cartoon Network to go F themselves. You know what I mean? But he would. He, he would. And that, that is, he would sit daily. <laughs> that, that, is, that is one thing I absolutely love because I, I've, I've had this talk before. And in any line of work, you know, you, you got to work for somebody unless you're your own boss. But even then, you're, you got to pay somebody so you don't go to jail, right? You got to pay your taxes. So nobody is 100% free. However, when you have people like your Danny, and I, ha- I, had, I used to work for this guy. His name was Alex. And uh, he worked at my last restaurant. He's a sous chef there. Him and I didn't see eye to eye. We did not. He, I, he didn't like me. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I've got a temper. Sure. No problem. But I'm the first person to admit when I'm wrong. Everybody else will tell you differently. But I'll sit there and be like, no, no, no. I, w- I try to apologize because I don't like being right. Or I love I love being right. Excuse me. I don't like being wrong. But I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong and apologizing for it. So when you have somebody that goes to bat, like a Danny or like an Alex, right? So I was having to do this thing and uh, I was like, hey, you know, the other chef told me I have to do it this way. And he's like, well, you work for me and I'm telling you to do it this way. If he has a problem, you can come and talk to me. So needless to say, I do what he tells me to do. I was super skeptical of what would happen if, you know, the first chef would come in. Of course, that first chef, his name is Nick. He comes in, he starts yelling and screaming at me, calling me. He was only this fucking big. He's a little guy. I'm six foot two and a half. Very proud of that half an inch on my height. So I'm six foot two and a half and I'm having to like look down while somebody's looking up and trying to make me come down to level. Just a real, he was just in a bad mood essentially. And Alex hears this commotion and he goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you yelling at my guy? And he was like, I fucking told him to do it this way. And he's sitting there telling me some bullshit about you telling him to do it. He's like, well, yeah, I fucking told him to do it that way. If you're going to have an issue, come talk to me. We'll go talk in the back. And I was like, holy shit, that dude's an asshole, but he just stuck up for me. And instantly right there, I don't give a fuck what this dude asked me to do. Short of fucking running out into traffic, butt naked, trying to get hit by a car. I would do anything for this dude because he's asking me to do it because you don't have that, right? Like you were just saying, you don't have somebody sitting there saying, no, man, this is our story. We're doing, they're doing just fine on the writing. They're doing just, just fine on the art. Fuck off, essentially is what I'm getting at. So it's, it's beautiful to see that that's still happening. And it's beautiful to know that there's still a oh it's it's not still happening dude i have i'm talking about with him i'm talking about (laughs) talking about with him so yeah i'm not saying it's happening yeah i'm not saying like happening in the industry but like i've had that like there's still people out there that will do that that will fucking lay down on a sword you know it's very few and far between but it's refreshing to see and hear that there are still some people out there that will go to those lengths um getting back to the fans questions uh, looking back at it now, and we've we've touched on this, but uh, we'll bring this back up again, uh, and we'll go a little bit deeper. Looking back at it now, would you change anything about the finale, small or big? Was it a perfect ending for you? For me, it was. Now, obviously, we've had to talk about the you know it, it the, the getting thrown in the paddy wagon or uh, it being a, a, a figment. But looking back on it now, do you still think it works? Obviously, Mike, we heard your answer earlier. You like the other ending better, but Rachel and Jono. Do you feel like this is a perfect ending for this show or it should have been different? Rachel, you want to go first? Ooh, Rachel. I'm sorry. Um, No, I, I genuinely, I wouldn't change it. I think, I think because so many bloody talented people worked on this and, and put their heart and soul into it that I feel like it would just be a house of cards of like, you change one element and the whole thing will just fall on its arse. I, that's how I personally feel. Like, I just think we 
you know, it, it, it managed to come together really well considering all the different obstacles that it came up against. So I personally would, you know, leave it the way it is. Um, but, you know, these guys were there, they, they, they are, are day oneers, so they will, may have a different opinion than me on that. Yeah. What about you, Jono? Would you change anything? I don't think I would change anything. I do like the, I do like that alternate ending where the police come. I, I yeah. totally forgot <laughs> about that because <laughs> I think it was somebody called the parents or somebody think or the the parents. Yeah, yeah. Somebody called the parents and then the parents show up with the cops and it's <laughs> like it's like the, it's like it turns into a police procedure all right after that. Right, because they'd all been missing for days. I mean, that would have been a funny ending too, but maybe maybe it's better that it was, uh, you know, a heartwarming ending. Yeah. I, I almost felt like, I, I know we, and we've, we've talked about this too, Mike and Rachel and I, you know, that it would be fun to do another episode, like yeah. a one-off. Yeah. Just a 30-minute and just make it like a like an ordinary Ed show, just kind of revisit it. Like there's still there's still summer. What would it be about? Oh, I don't know. I think we probably have some like old ideas that never got done. You know, I I mean, just like a regular, just a regular episode. Just a one-off, just one episode, and that's it. Yeah, just not, nothing, not a special. You know how pissed people would be. <laughs> They'd be happy that it's out. They're like, oh man, I can't wait. I'm like, no, no, that was it. It's done. One and done. They're like, fuck you. Just pissing every nerd off in their basement. It would kind of make sense for this show, though, because it really would. What's kind of the attitude we have? We love our fans, but we also love to rile them up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, John Lopez wants to know what was it like finally writing for Eddie's brother? I don't think I wrote any of his lines. That would be you two. I don't think I did any of his dialogue. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering if any of us actually wrote his dialogue and it's in it. I think that was. It. I think it was Danny. I yeah, think Danny went so. in and wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. When he got really he personal it. with that character, like he that was his character, and I don't. I was surprised actually when I saw the character because I didn't even imagine him to look the way he did either. Although I, I, I think they were, there was talk about the Danny's, or I'm sorry, Eddie's older brother looking like Danny, like a, car, a cartoon, like a cartoony version of Danny. Why was that character so special to him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He was really pushing for the existence of this character. Now, with that being for it. With that being said, with the way he looked, with the way he finally ended up looking, did he look like anybody that you might have remembered from, you know, growing up and hanging out with Danny? I don't, I thought he always, I always thought he kind of looked a little bit like Danny, kind of yeah. had a little bit of that Danny's vibe on him. Mm -hmm. um, and I always thought that was intentional, but I don't know, I, I, I wasn't involved in the process. I, I don't think us writers were really a big part of that character the development or even the dialogue or what was happening with it because it just got kind of it, it, it and i could be remembering this wrong but it felt kind of like it was just tacked on in the end there because yeah. there just everything took a different course you know um billy bob wants to know this one's kind of deep 
what was the inspiration slash mindset behind the more serious topics and plot points like Eddie's abuse, the strange slash more challenging aspects of the Ed's friendship with each other and the tension between uh, the Ed's and the other cul-de-sac kids? We were just trying to push everything much farther than it ever had been pushed before because we had a vehicle to do that in and that that was all of the above the relationship with the kids they fucked up worse than they ever ever have ever so and then they're on this journey and they're kind of getting on each nerve so each other's nerves so we couldn't we never they're they're always like kind of messing with each other but this was this it it just it it was like taking all those things and plussing them and, and and pushing and pushing and pushing see how far we can get with their emotions and the relationships that they have with each other and, and the other characters. So it, we, we had a movie, so we could, we could go a lot farther than we could ever before. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a vehicle to do it in. So that, that was probably the, the main motivation, pushing everything further than ever. Beautiful. What about you, John? Did you, when you guys write these things uh, and I'd like, I'd like each one of you guys to, to weigh in on it, but whenever you guys write something like this, Obviously, everybody has a bad day and they try not to take their days home with them, right? Everybody's had a bad day at work and they're in a bad mood when they get home. Whenever you're writing something like this, like the abuse with Eddie's brother, um, you know, like like they were saying with the strain on all of the different friendships that the Eds were going through. Do you guys ever absorb this type of shit, this type of writing, or is it easy to kind of like push off and not have to worry about because it's fictitious? What about you, Rachel? Do you, whenever you start to write this kind of deep, dark shit, does it come home with you or is it hard to shake? I mean, yeah, but like when I really get immersed in some friends, it's very hard for me to shake off. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, Michael tell you, I've been writing this freaking book series for like years and years. And there would just be days where I couldn't think of anything else because I'd just be so in the skin of these characters and like, you know, um, where they were going and stuff. And I would say it was, it would be the same for the Eds a lot of times of like, you know, where, what direction we were taking them in and you know snapping awake you know you know it's like snapping awake at two o'clock in the morning and like just bumbling for like a no a notepad and just like writing utter gibberish down but in that moment you're like oh my god I feel this I feel it so deeply and then you wake up and it's like the <laughs> the pan is broken you're like what's that <laughs> so yeah what about you Mike um you know a lot of the best stuff uh, as far as writing, I guess, uh, comes from your own personal experiences. So if you can inject, like if you're looking for something dark, well, you kind of try to look for something dark within you and inject it into yeah. what you're doing. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't so much when you're getting, getting into the characters' heads, getting in and out of the characters, they're still characters. Um, it, it's a lot of times where the darkness comes in, it's just in the process yeah. of trying get it done right and the, you know and you know there's there's times when you're, you're struggling with a lot of this stuff and 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 um it's not going as as well as you would like and you really start to question your abilities you start to question your judgment you start questioning your talents so yeah um but as far as getting the characters getting in and out of characters um unless i had to inject my own kind of feelings and emotions into it for a particularly dark or dismal scene um but uh you know at the end of the day, like Rachel said, it's a cartoon. This isn't real. Like, you know, um, you know, so 
you can get in and out of it pretty quick. What about you, Jono? I I never thought of the movie as being dark. <laughs> I I think it was just more real. Yeah. I think I think there was an effort, you know, to to take the cartooniness and make it a, a another level of real. Yeah, drama, right? A little bit more dramatic. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more real emotions and less cartoony emotions and like what if this really was a situation that kids were in? And then that's, I think, where that Stand By Me reference works. It's like... like do, you a, think we set, do you think we set out to do a coming-of-age film? Or was that something that just kind of happened, do you reckon? Oh, man, I never thought it. Rachel, you're smart as fuck, man. I never thought about that. I just chat yeah. shit. Please know. Please know. <laughs> I just chat shit all day. Just, oh, so clever. But yeah, no. <laughs> Just when I look back on it, it feels a bit coming of age. Um. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think we, I think we just kind of went in wanting to do a great movie with these characters. I don't. You guys I don't, did. At, the aftermath is is the testament that we're still talking about it, and it's still yeah. a thing. I guess is is you know mission mission accomplished. You know, fucking right, it was. It was yeah. a very good movie, man. Um, now, obviously, you guys might have or might have not seen this because uh, it's another Danny question. Baka Kujin, maybe? I'm not sure. So I apologize for probably butchering your name. But did Danny feel any kind of sad moments while writing the final part? Was uh, you guys remember seeing him feel any kind of different or see seem any kind of different with the wrap of the show? I didn't really see Danny that much, to be fair, because I was I was well, I didn't see anyone because I was working from home. But yeah. by the time mainly or I was with I was in New New West and John Yam roll office <laughs> of the time. Right. So I wasn't around the crew very much. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I didn't see him working. I knew the few times I was in the studio. I saw his wrath many times. Mm-hmm. Um, but sadness was <laughs> it's not an emotion I saw in his face often. <laughs> but only only he'd be able to answer that question. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Uh Mad Hyde, Mad Hydeson, maybe. What scene was the hardest to create for you guys? So, Rachel, what was the hardest scene in this movie for you to write? Oh man, I think it might have been the scene where Ed and Eddie do the quick sand prank, and Double D <laughs> lose, loses apart. Oh my god, they've died! They've actually died. What the what the fuck do I do? And you know, like his his world comes crashing down, and obviously they can't go. God, yeah, it was a prank, and he's like, "I don't have words for how much I hate you right now." <laughs> um, yeah, so because I did, you know, I, I was wary of the fact that I didn't want viewers to feel like you know um, that they were getting torn apart so much. But then it again, they kind of needed that element of look, we, this horrible shit has happened, and we're not the same idiots we were in season one. You know what I mean? You can't can't play with my emotions like that so yeah. um that was again i guess gonna go back to what john and mike was saying like you know it was a dark part of the film but like making how do you rein that back so it's hijinks again because you just can't stay with it being a cartoon you just can't really stay in that grim place for too long you got to mm-hmm. kind of like eventually bounce off it so what about you mike what was the hardest scene for you to write i i I want to say, and I'm probably not remembering this as best as I could, because I know there was a lot of scenes we struggled with, and there was a lot of back and forth going on. But I remember this, 
the sunflower field scene. There was like all sorts of things, issues with that one. And that just, I, I just remember that scene going through rewrite after rewrite after rewrite and, and, and trying to uh, tie it in and get them to, you know, the gag factory. And I, I don't remember the specifics. I just remember that scene being particularly difficult to get through. Yeah. Jono, same question. Uh, I guess I would think of the, the, the mini golf scene because I think it was nighttime and they were going to sleep. Oh yeah. I remember you and I getting a lot of conversations about that. Yeah. We were talking about it. It seemed to be, it's like the, the opening had lots of energy and then it, it seemed like this was like a lull and it was like, how, how do you get through this scene without losing all your energy? (laughs) How do we keep it going? You know? Thank Christ you said that, Jono, because I I was I watched the film a couple of days ago and I'm like I'm sure there was a mini golf segment, and it's essentially gone. Like they do end up going to that location, but they they're not there for long. Oh. I know you sat there going, "Am I going crazy?" Like this, this didn't happen, but <laughs> I remember there being a big scene, but I guess yeah, maybe it got cut. <laughs> so yeah. with that with that same. Well, that same thought process. What was the easiest scene, Rachel? What was the easiest scene for you or the most fun um, scene? Oh, I loved writing all the stuff with Eddie. Sorry, with Kevin and Naz of her just getting like increasingly pissed off because he's just yeah. obsessed with this fucking bike. And she's just like, I hate that. I hate this bike. Get rid of this fucking bike. And it was just like, it was the way it just kept building and building. And it did get, a, you know, ironically, a bit cartoony with how how just in love with his own bike Kevin was. But like, it was just getting, and she was getting more irate. So the being able to play with it, because obviously with, with Kevin and, and Naz, they, they'd had this will they, won't they going on for like, yeah seasons of like are they together is there something going on so being able to actually like play with that a little bit was was really fun now the only reason i asked this is because when i had scott on he said one of the hardest things he had to do was draw kevin's bike he's like i fucking hated drawing the kevin's bike he's like i don't know what it was (laughs) but it was so difficult with that being said was that a joke in-house joke about the whole bike love thing just to have scott stress out and draw this fucking bike or is that just me reading too much into it? <laughs> well, it that was the intention. I told me that's just that's just made my day. To be honest, that it just yeah. made Scott's life more difficult. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love Scott. I'm only messing. Oh man, he was one of my favorite <laughs> guests. He was such a funny fucking dude. Um, and then when he when 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 I reached out to Jono, Jono told me to ask him the story uh, about the tapeworm and uh, was it Rita? Uh, Rita McNeil. Rita McNeil, thank you. I have never laughed harder during a podcast. I had to pause it just so I could finish catching my breath and everything like that. It was so fucking funny. But uh, Mike, same question, man. What was your what was the most fun scene you got to 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 write on? The opening. I I, yeah. I freaking love that opening. The first three minutes of that movie are just gold to me. I just I love that opening. I love just the whole vibe, the atmosphere, the what is going on, the menacing, you know, visuals. And and then you just see the, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh my God, it's just so good. It just hooks every time it hooks me right in. Love that opening. Yeah. And then when they're running with the car, gee, that's a yes. <laughs> real Flintstones-like super, moment. Super Flintstones, super funny. That whole opening is just, 
every manic thing we ever did was like crank to 11 in that first like 10 minutes of that film it's awesome i love it whose whose idea was it to have the whole dukes of hazards bit where they go they go flying out the roof because i love that that is like hype that moment I, I don't remember. I mean, John, you and I were doing a lot of the writing at that time. And it, it might have been one of our ideas or more likely one of the board artists. But yeah. If you had to pick a board artist that that, that fits him, who would it be? Him or her? Is that another big gem? As far as the Dukes of Hazard moment, if you had to pick one of the board artists that it might have been. Yeah, I don't want to pick the wrong one and then piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, they'll never speak to us again. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, I feel kind of like a Joel. No. Maybe Joel. Joel? Uh, who can say? I, I don't yeah. Remember. Well, hopefully, hopefully, whenever they watch this, they'll put it in the comments on who it was. And hopefully, two board artists will do it and then they'll just start arguing. Because uh, that's always fun. Like, no, I wrote that, or no, I drew that, no, I did this. Well, so. Probably one of us came up with the fucking. Yeah. Name. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I feel like it could have been a meat stick thing, though. John, uh, I don't. I, I mean, it could have. Man, John is trying to stay out of this. He's fucking Poland, man. He's neutral. He knows. <laughs> well, I, I, I think Mike's right that if we if we say it was the wrong person, then the right person will be annoyed. Uh, it'll be all right it's nothing new you guys like stirring the pot don't you uh jano same question man what was what was your most fun scene to write on here i love the scene and writing the scene that occurred right before that moment when they're in eddie's brother's room and all the kids are trying to get in and screw in the like uh bolts of the vents and stuff <laughs> And they're like, oh, my God, how are we going to get out of here? I love that pressure cooker of that. It it, it made it feel like a zombie invasion, like when they're all trying to get in. Like, it it felt like Night of the Living Dead-esque. Like, oh, shit, this is creepy. How the fuckers are going to get in here? That was the vibe, totally, we were trying to go for. Like, like, how do we survive? We have to survive, and we're trapped in this room, you know? So good. It really was, man. Uh... AM, I think, is their name because that's all I wrote. Uh, Do you think the kids would have ever made up with Johnny or does he still remain an outcast? Well, Johnny's an outcast by choice. I I don't think it has anything to do with the other kids. He's just in his own world. Always has been. So what you're saying is it's Johnny's fault. Yeah. It's (laughs) Johnny's decision to be Johnny 2 by 4 right? And he's based on a a neighborhood kid of of Danny's. Really? get thrown out of the house in the morning and sit on the corner and or curb and he wouldn't be allowed to go home until like you know, <laughs> end of the day so god like, that's fucked up his own yeah, yeah. it was it's, it's well, a little sad the other thing is that I, that's why i brought up the 70s like i really feel like a lot of this stuff is is childhood in the 70s yeah, yeah. And, and that is kind of what it was like, is that your parents would go, okay, you've had breakfast, get out of the house. Yeah. I'll yell when it's dinner. And that's what you did. There's no internet and no computers, right? No video games. Yeah, the only time you kind of had control of the, the television was Saturday morning. That was the golden kids' time. Yeah. The rest of the time, you're just out there looking for things to do and getting into trouble. That's did that, the 70s. Did- 
did that friend of of Danny's or that kid that Danny knew that had to sit on the curb until his parents let him back in the house? Did he have a did he have a plank or was that just something he threw in for funny? I probably think that was added in. I mean, he might have. Who knows? I I just remember. Da I did. I specifically remember Danny mentioning there was like this kid who just was a loner, and he, his his parents threw him out of the house and in the morning, and he would just sit there and wait for friends or whatever but it was sad like it was it was it was in a sad context like yeah. this poor kid was just on his own and doing his own thing you know? but how do we make him funny how do we make him you know interesting and a character and i think he turned out great i love johnny he's one of my favorite characters on the show yeah. i love johnny yeah. yeah he's great what's your so this one isn't written down but since we're talking about johnny rachel what's your favorite johnny moment mike what's your favorite johnny moment or mike what's your favorite johnny moment mike what's your favorite johnny moment and johnny what's your favorite johnny moment so we'll start with rachel. rachel what's your favorite what's your favorite johnny moment oh i always love that episode where johnny where kevin pays the ads to make johnny go away and like the, his the annoying factor just gets dialed up so much they essentially turn him into a frankenstein's monster and it just goes on and on and the stupid gag where he's in the bird's house and his head keeps popping out and he's just going why at, at sarah over and over again it's like that's like that is the game that just pissed you off so much but like it was so well used in that episode yeah, that's a good episode i like that one as well that's good is that the one you're choosing too mike i think so yeah because i love it i love it how he was so annoying he just <laughs> everybody's nerves what about you, Jono? What's your yeah, favorite? I'd have to. I mean, honestly, I don't remember like individual <laughs> scenes like that. <laughs> but I do remember. I do remember that episode, and that was a lot of fun to write. Like, yeah, yeah, like Johnny just trying to make someone as annoying as humanly possible that right. everybody else in the room was was yeah. uh, is fun. So that for cash, because people will pay you <laughs> yeah. to get rid of this kid. It's such a great scam. Brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's such a brilliant scam, too. Like Eddie's like, that's an A plus Eddie scam right there. Like I, that took some deep thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked him. I liked him in this movie as Melonhead and as the gourd. And uh I I definitely liked him in the uh was it the Christmas special where he comes over and it's what is it Father Winter or whatever it is. His whole his whole house is just icicles and shit like that. Right. Um, so I, I liked him in that one. He, he's he's definitely a character that's that's fun as fuck. Um. Uh, we already talked about that. Uh, Quantum wants to know. Uh, was there any problems while making the movie? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a loaded. Every loaded, fucking loaded. day. <laughs> yeah. What one sticks out the most to you guys? It was, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy or salacious. But was there anything that 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 really sticks out to you when you think about it? Like, fuck, man, I really wish that wouldn't have happened. Uh, well, the I mean, the ending switcheroo, I I always remember. Yeah, yeah, that was the big one okay. because it went it went from Eddie's brother is fictitious to no, he's there, and that's the <laughs> complete opposite. So it was yeah. like, what? Yeah, that was a that was a huge pull the carpet out from under us moment. And also, I remember at the time, like we were, and this is more of a business e money thing but um we were the cartoon network was doing a powerpuff girls movie and yes. Ed and maddie movie was supposed to be coming out 
And at the time, we were all under the impression that the Ed, Ed, and Eddie movie would get a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. So they were putting a lot of money behind it. And, and we were all on board and hard charging to get this thing done. And then the Powerpuff movie came out while we were working on this, while we were, we were in production on the script. So it was at the very beginning stages of what we were doing, but I remember being writing, you know, we were all writing together and the Powerpuff movie, movie girls came out and it tanked. It did terrible and lost a lot of money at the time. And then I remember Cartoon Network going, whoa, 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 whoa. And somebody, they yanked all the money away and it was a big problem with finances and stuff. And I remember they had so little money left after this happened that I was technically off the show as a writer after a, like the first half. And they're like, we can't afford to pay you. And I'm like, whatever, fine. So I, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it has nothing to do with me. I had no control over it, but that didn't, I mean, we were still partying every day. Yeah. John was on the phone with me almost daily during the whole process. So even though I wasn't on technically on paper or technically employed, I was still, you know, we were still rapping and doing things back and forth and stuff like that. So I remember that was a real challenge too. And, and how disappointing that was to see how bad the Powerpuff movie did. And, and it, it really kind of made an adverse effect on the production of our own movie. But I, Danny was like, oh, well, we're still making a movie. Yeah. And he just, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that suddenly, you know, the, however, whatever the budget that was planned that we were supposed to get suddenly shrunk. He didn't care. You just were making this movie. So we did. What about you, Rachel? You remember anything well, in particular? Just, just to kind of add to Mike's point, this wasn't the first time where Danny had to put his hand in his own pocket and keep that studio going. He had to do that in season four. And these guys will tell you, like, you know, so it, he, it wasn't new territory to him. And I think whether that was in the back of his mind anyway of, like, you know, things go south, I might have to fund this thing myself. Um so there was there was that element of it, but yeah, yeah, just kind of what Mike said that like so essentially, Powerpuff Girls not doing too great kind of set the tone for our expectations of what we could do, where the fil- film the kind of reach it would have. But it wasn't going to change the fact we were going to make a film. That was we'd set our course to do that. So um, yeah, I think you know finances like you know I went right into my overdraft because I wasn't making any money in the last like four months of of working there and stuff, but. You would, I think we were all just kind of tied to the ship of we need to get this done. So, yeah, that was that was that really. And also, everyone was just really tired, really just deep in their soul, fucking tired. So, yeah, it's funny you're reminding me that the whole studio went on a retreat once (laughs) to like like a camp. I don't remember what season that was. Everyone complained, right? I wasn't there, but I heard the stories. Were you guys, uh, Jono, uh, what was it? Sam and uh, Matt and um, Tony brought it up. Was that where a fucking river was going through the middle of the camp you guys were at? And uh, it might have been a different retreat. I'm not sure, but I remember, fuck, I'm possible. I'm not even going to bring it up. I have to go back and look at the tape because they brought up some kind of retreat um and something happened i fucking blank i don't even know why i brought that shit up i just want to be a part of the conversation john i guess that's what it was but uh yeah no no go back to your story the the retreat and everything like that you guys went on a retreat oh i know i just remember that the morale in the studio was so low that it's like okay we're all gonna go away and we're gonna figure it out and feel better and jump back in 
I, I don't know if it worked. <laughs> Would I you guys it, do that often? No, I think we just did that once. Yeah. That was just one time. I remember I, one time being blown up to, to, to be in the in studio for a couple weeks just because Danny was being so difficult. They wanted somebody there to cheer him up. So they brought me in. You yeah, wheeled in like the court jester. Just to make him happy. You know, to give him someone to hang out with and have a beer with or something so he could like, you know, chill a little bit. Like I, I, I had to go up there and like I was there for like a week, maybe two, just hanging in the seats. And I wasn't even, I mean, he would give me boards and he'd go just write dial, whatever dialogue you think. And I would write dialogue in on these boards and then give it to me. He goes, this is shit. This is shit. He'd just take it all out anyways. And I'd be like, okay, why am I here? Like what, what is my purpose here? But. Oh, yeah. but you made him feel better because he got the shit on you. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. He was just, yeah. We, yeah. It was such a weird thing. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure all joking aside, because that's all that was. I'm sure you made him feel better just seeing somebody else yeah, and getting the shit. Friends at the end of the day, we've yeah. known each other a long time. So, you know, even though I wasn't in any capacity to probably do any, you know, any substantial work, it was, we were hanging out and I was helping out where I can. Actually, I learned how to use the editing machine uh, that, that trip too, because I had nothing better to do. <laughs> there you go, man. You, you, like I said, you helped out. Uh, when uh i just want to make sure i read this through um do you guys remember mr mizu wants to know we talked about the adults not not really showing up you know no technology but do you remember when it was decided that there would be no adults shown on the screen in the movie was that a conscious effort was that just something that you guys knew about? yeah that was right in the bible yeah okay um brian e wrestling wants to know was there supposed to be an original intro of Eddie's brother before the big picture show? No. No. No, he was never, it was never a thing. It was always, he was always a legend, a myth. Something Eddie used to manipulate the other kids. Was there a scene where he showed up in his doorway? Yeah, it was in and, the closet. So, but you don't see yeah. anything. It's like neck up and he's like fucking six foot five or some shit like that. <laughs> but it looks, it looks similar. Like he's got the number 62 on. I think it, Rachel was it different, a little bit different. Was a little bit different because it was Sarah and Jimmy dressing up as Eddie's brother because they just gotten fed up. It was the episode I think where Eddie had riled everyone up again about oh my brother's coming home and you know what I mean, going to show all you lot and all this. And so to get their revenge, they dressed up as Eddie's brother to scare the crap out of him. I think. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wrote that one. I remember that. Is that one of yours? Yeah. Oh. Was it Ed's house? I'm trying to see if I can't find the uh, the the picture and show you, but I think it was called Ed's house was the name of the episode, or Eddie's house um, was the name of the episode, I believe. No, it, it was uh, Ed pass it on. Ed pass it on, yeah. yeah. Ed pass it on, yeah, because he was spreading rumors about his brother coming in, so people would like you know respect him. Yeah, I, I was trying to, somebody had posted the picture of, of that scene uh, not too long ago. I don't remember where I saw it. I was going to try to bring it up on the screen, but uh, internet failed me again. Piece of shit. Um, <laughs> uh, we already answered that one. So uh, Baku Jin, I guess that's her name. I don't know, but uh, wants to know another one. Did you ever have, did they ever have any thoughts on including songs in this or any kind of music? into the movie <laughs> musical numbers oh yeah wow. 
Um, we did one as a joke in an episode, I think. Um, but Danny hated that shit. Like the only time he'd ever get something like that was just to spoof it, you know. And I think he did it one time in an episode, running around holding hands and Jimmy singing. I can't remember which episode it is. Like Tim Hart, isn't it? Oh, the friend song. The friend song. The friend song, yeah. That's the only time. And then the Christmas Ralts got his song. Yeah. <laughs> episode. Um, well, Jimmy had a song at the end of the movie, the Stub Your Toe song. I don't know if that counts as far as music, but I know, you know, the Stub, was a Stub Your Toe song or some shit like that? It was something about that Stub was a, Yeah, that was a reprise of the Friendship song, I think. Yeah. 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 And the only yeah, reason I, mean, I know this is because I, I just watched it before we got on this call, so. Ralph, that is, uh, that's not my horse, but I don't think that's a song. That was more like a little dance and a, uh, <laughs> and a fish slapping. <laughs> he always had the I'm best fucking, uh, I, I'm getting, okay, yeah, I got, I got you. Uh, just a couple more here. Uh, what, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to show up or not. <laughs> so, uh Alan, your favorite piece of career advice you learned while writing on the show? Career advice? Yes. Like from Dan? From you. Well, I guess what would you say is the biggest thing you took away from this by working on this show? If you could give somebody career advice by what you learned with working on Ed, Ed, and Eddie, what would it be? Well, be a craftsman. Be a craftsman. Beautiful. Yeah. Don't churn out crap. Be a craftsman. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you echo that same sentiment? Yeah, I uh, I have to say the thing I got most out of that experience was quality matters. Like, like the, if, if the bar is here, always strive for here. Do not ever settle for this. Do not shoot for this. Always push the characters, push the story, push everything you can at all times to the point of almost getting fired. And that's the only way you're going to get it done. It's going to turn out well. And it's always going to be creative and, and different and, and push those things, you know. And unfortunately, it is, it's just something that doesn't happen most, most productions you work on. And it's so weird to me because, I mean, that's just how we kind of came up through the ranks, believing that quality was important. It was the, mo the most important thing, you know, do a good show, do a good job, you know. Beautiful. Rachel, what about you? Same sentiment or did you learn something different? Uh, no, I, I think, I think to, you know, what these guys have said for me, it's when you work on a show like this, don't walk in assuming that you have all the answers. You certainly don't need to know all the answers at any point in, in your creative career. And, you, you know, have, I suppose, like have the humility to draw on the knowledge of the people around you and to admit, you know, I don't know what to do with this scene. I don't know what to do with my life or like you know just like really just like be be open to the people around you and just you know I was I think I said this in my last time I had a chat with you Julian just that I was so fortunate to be surrounded by so many awesome and talented people who had, had so collectively decades of of experience on me and like you know I just, I just wanted to soak that up as much as possible so um yeah it's just I suppose be kind of with what Jono said of like don't don't create crap but when you do create crap be able to like like reflect on it and where you went wrong and and you know just understand that it is a process and you know you're not going to get it right first time or maybe not even the 10th time and it's fine it's just that that's the way 
your journey goes really beautiful and uh last one can uh block frog wants to know the canker's third eye uh was it intentional i don't know what he's talking about doesn't lee lift her hair up and she's got like another maybe that's what it was i'm trying to remember this the exact moment yeah i i i I feel like that's something I've seen, but I just can't put my finger on. Yeah, I have to go back and watch it. So I don't know if that was intentional or if you guys would know. Uh, that sounds like a board artist gag. Yeah, stuck yeah. it in there, and they thought that it was really funny. And Danny probably went and then left it. Right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, we've come to the end of the fans' questions, and uh, I already gave you guys my thanks for everything you've done when I had you individually on, and. You know, Mike, you're like the fifth fucking time on here. And I always appreciate having you on here. I'm always amazed when you keep coming back on. Like, but uh, John, Mike and Rachel, man, I really appreciate this movie, the work you've done and everything you're going to continue to do. Is there anything you guys are working on now that we can push the fans towards? Uh, or if people want to come and say hi to you on the social media and the Internet, where can they do that at? Uh, I'm on Facebook's. And, uh, you know, anyone can always check out my website and contact me through that. Um, MikeKubat.com, not too difficult. Um, I'm still working on Spider-Man. I've been on it for about two years now. Um, it's doing really well. I guess it's like a really high rated show. So I'll be continually employed for a bit. Um, and uh, we'll see, you know, so that's all I got going on. What about you, Jono? You got anything not a lot going on. <laughs> um, just uh, developing. Yeah, just stay tuned. Developing stuff uh, with a company in Ottawa called Jamfield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got a we got a, a new show bible we're putting together, and it'll hopefully be going out like next month. Mm-hmm. You know, to the networks and cross your fingers, we might get a development deal or something like that. Um, you know, working on spec features with a friend down in LA and, um, just hoping something's going to land, you know, I have a feeling it will, you know, and in the meantime, just picking up, you know, freelance things here and there. Beautiful, man. Well, I have a feeling it's going to turn around for you very, very soon, Jono and, uh, Rachel last but not least, uh, where can fans go and say, hi, I like what you do. (laughs) <laughs> they can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under I'm Rachel Luckett. That's my married name now. Um, with stuff I'm working on, I'm hoping to launch a Kickstarter next year for my first novel. Uh, I'm going to be I'm working on the second and third at the minute. I'm doing script reports for like my various film producer friends, like of now and then, but they're just kind of haphazard whenever they come up. So um, yeah. I guess when more stuff comes out, I, I, you will be the first to know. I will put out on the socials. So, yeah. Beautiful. I'm really and, looking um, forward to it. Um, and also, if anyone is in the Harrogate or Hull area in November, uh, me and my husband Rob will be at various Comic Cons. You'll get more information about that. And I'll be working with Rob on some stuff uh, next, next year as well because we write comics together and stuff. So, yeah. Um, and also, one last thing just check out um rob's comic bumstorm because he's got okay. issue fifth issue five coming out and we're going to be releasing a volume next year it's it's fun and farty hijinks 
<laughs> if you can send me the link for that and i'll make sure i put it in the video in here since we brought it up that way the fans want to they can click on it they can go right to it um she's been rachel he's been mike no that's been jono because my finger's pointing the wrong way so he's been mike that's been jono i've been julian this has been the what's it for one day only this has been the what's in my ed podcast and uh this has been another huge piece of your childhood good night bye bye everyone <laughs> beautiful thanks again for checking out the what's in my head podcast if you're digging what you're hearing leave us a five-star rating that will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show don't forget to smash that subscribe button tell a friend and i'll see you guys and gals next week good night